Okay, we can do a show. Well, do you want to try? Uh, yeah, try is, is actually... Let's Give see if this works. Shot. Here we go. Give it a shot. Here we go. And oh, that worked. I am excited. Live via Periscope and almost Facebook. How, how does it almost Facebook? Because I tried and it didn't work. Oh. Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I am Brian Irwin. And I'm John Huck. And this is really loud. Yep. It's funny because I turned down... I turned down the headphones. Not the headphones, the uh, volume on us. Because sometimes I turn it up. Yeah. But this is just blasting. And we can't turn but it down it's, anymore. You love it so much. I figure that if I, we could take it to Spinal Tap 11. You know that when I drive away from your place after we do the show, I have this in my car stereo just cranking. You play it over and over and over oh, again. Oh, dude. Yeah, windows down, giving Sh- people shirt the Shirt on or shirt off when you shirt drive. Shirt off, bro. Shirt off. Yeah. Seatbelt behind me. You know what I mean? Like, so that no one can tell I'm wearing one. Um. You've probably gone to this. Obviously, uh, I'm from uh, Wisconsin. You are from Illinois. I'm assuming you had gone to Summerfest at least once in your life. I saw. I have a I, Summerfest was awesome. Yeah, yeah, man. I I saw Bob Dylan and Paul Simon at Summerfest one year, and. <laughs> I don't know why you're laughing. Well, <laughs> just because after the show, we were. Wa- I was with like all these people who Uh-oh. were like fairly normal people. Did you wet and- your pants? No, man. But okay. I had to use. I had to use like uh, a porta potty like a few of them multiple times. I had, <laughs> I, had, I kept shitting, and they were like, "What is wrong with you?" I'm like, "I don't know." Well, I know. Now that I've known you long, well, enough, I right. Know I mean, we all know. And was, listen, Summerfest. There was like you it probably was had polka, kielbasa, it was brats and beers yeah. for like fifteen hours, and then Paul Simon and yeah. and uh, Bob Dylan, which was cool, man. And those were great shows. I'm so glad I got to see those guys. But what I loved about uh, uh, what I love about uh, uh, Summerfest is that it was only a matter of time wow. during that. Uh, I believe it's a ten day festival. We'll ask our guest when he comes in, and we'll talk about it. But anyway, during that time. Um, it didn't take long for most guys to take their shirts off after a couple of brewskis. Oh, dude. No, and yeah. uh, it didn't take long for those same guys with their shirts off to be carted off by medvacs <laughs> and little golf carts because they were getting in too many fights or fell down and cracked their heads. So there was a lot of shirt off uh, <clears throat> deliveries being taken to the hospital. There were shirts off at Summerfest because it is hot. It is Wisconsin. It gets. It gets Would you shirt you know, off? No, dude. I, I never shirted off. I, the only time I've shirted off is like in Warrenville on the 4th of July. Just kind of being a jerk, waving my shirt around, looking for my buddy. That was the only time. But then <clears throat> the best shirt-off concert thing I've ever seen, I was with Eddie Pence. We went and saw Iron Maiden at the Inland Empire, uh-huh. uh, at that whatever that um, big outdoor thing, uh, outdoor uh, pavilion is there. And they, they, it was like a, it was a show they did, and they played almost all a new album, which was weird. I've never seen a, a band like Iron Maiden do that, you know? But they were like, yeah, we're going to play mostly off our new record. And I was like, okay. And I, I was okay with it. But as soon as the show started, at, we were in the lawn. Everybody in the lawn like took their shirts off and then set them on fire. But yeah, of course. And then you know was that, like, right? just waving around flaming shirts and then like making ma- making like garbage piles and setting those on fire. And like, I was like, dude, the t-shirt guys outside this venue are going to make a killing when everyone's leaving because everybody needs a fucking shirt now. It's like, <laughs> it was so weird. I mean, everybody was shirtless and they were, it was just so bizarre. We just started laughing. I was like, this is this is too much. Like, this it, is typical. Well, it's good that we're actually talking about music because uh, um, longtime friend and guest of uh, the show, uh, he and I met through the music business way back at... 91.7 WMSE. Jeff Castellez is joining us today. Jeff, how are you? 
I'm really good. Thanks. How I'm, are the, you? I'm the peanut gallery. But <laughs> is I'm, that I'm, it? Trying to, I'm trying to soak all this in. Bob Dylan, Iron Maiden. Yeah, we're going to well, be all over the place. I just saw Dead and Company at Jimmy Kimmel last night. Yeah, yeah. You, all right, so go back to that for a second. Which uh, so you went to? You're talking about their out. Do they still do the outside? I don't watch TV that much anymore. But do they well, still do the outside events? What I thought happened because this is what happened when I went and saw uh, Jimmy Kimmel a couple times was that the band that was on the show played one song for the show inside on the stage. Then moved everything outside, and they would play two or three or four extra songs for a, an audience. Like the, the show would move outside, and like this everybody, is after the show's over. This, yeah, but this was this was also years ago. But now oh, I oh, think yeah. they start the bands outside. Jimmy announces the bands. He thanks his guests. He brings the band on. They close the show basically, and then they played one or two songs, and then. Then that, then the show, the credits roll. The show is over, but the band keeps playing for the live audience that is there. Yeah, but if it's Dead and Company, that's like forty-five minutes. Well, they <laughs> did. Song. They did. Yeah. I was yeah. really surprised at the set list. I'll be honest. I well, almost three songs. Well, is no, that a list? They opened. They opened with Bertha. They did. Uh, then they did uh, Sc- uh, Scarlet Begonia, Fire on the Mountain. Then they did Althea, and then they did Not Fade Away. So that those, those were the only songs they did. But they did go off on those songs, like. John Mayer is, I mean, I, I, I didn't, I guess I didn't know too much about him before this, but like mm-hmm. he does tear it up with those guys. He, bring, he brings a little bit of life. Uh oh, we got silence over on one corner. Did they do Touch of Grey? No. That's their best song ever. Are you I like being sarcastic? I can't tell. You're being sarcastic right now. Yeah, that's, that's, but, that's but total 80s, a, right? A, yeah, but there's actually a cover by this band called War on Drugs, who's a super cool band. Their new single is a cover of that song. Really? It's on the radio right now. And this yeah. one, really? You like? You like the cover? Better? Yeah, but but if you if you War look on back on it, it's like yeah, they're like a hipster band. Um, but yeah, yeah, they've been around for a while though, right? Yeah, Correct, yeah. So so I'm, I'm assuming then everybody has seen uh, uh, the great speech by Jack Black holding um, uh, uh, in the in the movie. Uh, oh God, I'm gonna forget the movie where he makes the speech at the record store about holding. Uh, um, Stevie Wonder accountable uh, for the, his songs in the '80s, and does that does that make <laughs> no longer Cusack does that no movie? yes I forget what it's called Top Five No, yeah, what's no the, uh, you know you know what movie I'm talking about right Yeah where he makes Jeff, the list. High Fidelity High Fidelity Yeah, yeah. where he has the yeah. big speech about he do was we, talking about John Cusack Yeah was you, John Cusack in that movie Yeah he was he was the lead oh, guy, sorry, actor sorry. in the movie I'm trying, yeah. I'm trying, yeah. to, we're, I'm we're trying all, to like throw spice at you We we all found different ways to get there So I guess the question becomes based on your your thing You're saying Touch of Grey puts a little bit of taint on what the dead was is that how you would would that be the yeah. same argument that Jack Black made in High yeah. Fidelity? Yeah. It was also like their big their big moment to have an MTV hit. And well, that was it. Well, that was the only MTV hit. Imagine that. Know? And Jerry yeah. didn't last much longer after that, which is right? Oh, no, that came out in 89. He lasted until 95. He did last until 95. Yeah. But think about it. We were all like teenagers. Yeah. Was it 95? Was it he, I thought he, it was earlier. No, he died in 95. The last show was in 95 and then he died in that uh that uh, uh August after that, right? But my point is, is they were they were old dudes even back then. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah. oh dude, yeah. By the time I got into, it, by the time I started listening, they were like, it was like if they would have said, "Well, this is our last tour." I said, "That makes sense. You guys yeah. are old. You need to sit down." Probably so weird. So speaking of death, obviously, just recently Prince died. Now, here's the deal. I um I said I went radio silent on it because I was never a Prince fan and I felt like and I've I've had this happen to me. This is the same thing that goes on if you say you don't like Bernie Sanders, which I do. But this is that same thing. There's certain people <laughs> that if you say something it doesn't fit their their model, they go off on you. It's almost like if you want to say something on either side of gun control, like you have to think twice before mm-hmm. you hit enter. <clears throat> 
or send on your announcement. So I just didn't say anything. Well, if, I, but if you don't like something, why would you comment on it? No, no, I'm what saying. Was your I, 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 was, I never really liked Prince. Like, uh, no, but I'm thanks saying, for that guy. But you know, there's that fear of like, I get it. I, I was just never really. I mean, everybody shares their thoughts sometimes. And sometimes your, your natural inclination is like, Sorry for all the rest of you guys. I was never really into it, so I don't feel that same pain and passion that other people had. Then you, but if you I did that, right I wouldn't. To say nothing. I said nothing. Yeah, you're but you right do agree with me that I would have just immediately been attacked. Yeah, right? well, but just because it's it's so like, to me that's just so unnecessary. That's like the scene in uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry David's on the phone. He calls somebody. He he gets their assistant. He asks for them. The assistant's like, "Oh, can I tell him who it's calling?" He's like, "It's Larry David." He goes, hey, "You know, I never really liked Seinfeld." The guy's like, Larry David's like, what? why the fuck would you say that to me, dude? Like, that's fine. You're allowed to like what you like, and it's none of my business. But to bring it up for no reason unprovoked is pointless. And to say, like, I never really liked Prince, but I feel for all you. It's just like, just leave it alone. Just let everyone else. Well, I think if it's all but, but if, if somebody wanted mourning, to do that. Yeah. If you're not mourning the loss of the musician, then just leave it alone. I do, I do feel sad that it's always in death that all the stories finally start coming out, right? Yeah. Like, you can keep a crisp, clean, you know, um, uh, identity of yourself and then it just seems like the minute you're gone like everybody just wants to open up the closet I know? can't wait till people try to open up my closet and be like oh yeah we already knew yeah everybody this. already knew everything oh, about you there's never no mind. secrets never, you're pretty much in a world where never, most never of us mind. are open books there's no good <laughs> luck digging but yeah. anyway so the Prince thing I know I know, I know you're, you were into Prince I, yeah I liked him dude the first two tapes I ever bought at a record store when I was shopping with my dad I had money from like raking leaves or some shit when I was in fourth grade I bought Van Halen 1984 and Prince Purple Rain. Yeah. And I took them home and listened to them on this big gray boom box with this, these old brown headphones with this big curly cord. And I knew right away, just looking at the Prince cover, that like my parents were not going to like whatever was on this record. So I had to listen to it on headphones. You know what I mean? And then I heard Darling Nikki. And even in fourth grade, I was like, something's horny about that song. Like, <laughs> that is something. Something's Amazing. horny about that. And I, and I, it was just, it was a very. It was eye-opening, man. Prince was awesome. Prince was... And then his Super Bowl halftime show is the best halftime show that's ever been. Every halftime show for the Super Bowl should be a re-showing of that show. And then, of course, when he his one of my favorite guitar solos ever is the Tom Petty, yeah. George Harrison tribute. So here's the thing. Having been in the music business and appreciating music, I can I appreciate all those moments. I just never was never I was never going to buy the albums. I remember when Purple Rain came out, I thought it was interesting, but it was not my style. I was more of a new wave. I was into the Cure. And, <laughs> I will like say all that, that I, shit. It I just didn't, didn't buy seem anything to fit my ideology at the time. I didn't buy anything other than Purple Rain. But what's your what's your life experience with uh, with the Purple One? I dated this girl in Milwaukee. Did you say I dated him? <laughs> I, was, uh, yeah, I dated this girl who turned out to be Prince. <laughs> she was uh, this. I dated this girl in Milwaukee who was obsessed with him. Nice. She played Prince. 24 7 and we lived together at some point which sounds really weird to me now yeah um she's a really great person um and i think she still cuts my brother's hair i, was just gonna, I know i knew you were talking oh, yeah, about the yeah. whole time yeah, she's yeah, yeah. a really great person yeah. but she, she used to be my she, former next door neighbor if you remember right yeah. she was obsessed with prince yeah like period that was that was that that's all she talked about so how's she doing have you guys talked <laughs> I have, to her no, since? i have no idea yeah. oh you but should reach out to it's, her. she's it's probably really, devastated I mean, to me, like the thing I can't get over in my head is that he died in an elevator. I know, I know. I just keep trying to forget that. But again, you hear it, and you're like, unless some when you hear stories like that, right? Mm -hmm. 
And, and you're like, unless the person was like 97 years old and they just collapsed and that was it, you knew right away something wasn't right. And that, that, to me, that's the sadder part of this story is what led to the elevator, right? And then you start to find out there was something that led to yeah. such yeah, a, a such a shitty and lonely way to die mm-hmm. was that unfortunately, is me- it's, it's the, the Elvis effect, right? No matter yeah. how many people, the Michael Jackson effect, no matter how many people you have around you, there's always too many enablers, right? Yeah. That's yeah. probably, we're going to find out, I know that's not the truth yet but it's starting to lead that way yeah th- i think that that the, the the i don't know if it's funny the odd thing is that there was a an interventionist who had arrived and, and is actually i just read this morning in the new york times this guy flew out from san francisco the plan that some of prince's friends had was this guy was taking prince back to san francisco i believe to go into treatment he's one of the guys that found him dead in the elevator. Yes, got there, and they yeah. couldn't find him. He was there to take him. Or not right. take him, but, you know. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, That's... and then there was another local doctor who'd been taking care of him who um, was on his way over there um, and walked into the scene. <sighs> and so now they're investigating what this guy's role was. Yeah. But who what's is... clear is that Prince was in, in the ER um, near, near his studio on a number of occasions over <clears throat> the years, including a couple weeks before, Something bad was going on with him medically. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't just out of the thin blue air right. or whatever they say. Well, there's always the danger, and, and this is something that's being talked about more and more and more as uh, more rational people start getting involved, is that, and, and you know this, these are opiates. Yeah. And and there's a lot of people that become addicted after hurting I'm themselves. They were not actively pills? seeking to become addicts. They became addicts because they couldn't deal with the pain. Yeah. And as you know, you put one in, that works for a little while. Oh, I need two suddenly now, need that six. works. Yeah. Dude, and then, pill, pills then are suddenly the worst. you need it all the time. And then suddenly it's your life. Pills yeah. are the worst. Yeah. Pills are the worst. And these pills are things. do more damage than anything else. Pharmaceutical medicine does more damage. And the, and the thing about it, though, is what, what kills me about it is a, is a fact, and kills people, is the fact that it, it, it starts with a trained medical professional is where you get it. This isn't like us in high school trying to decide whether or not we got a good bag of weed or pencil sharpenings, right? <laughs> right you know yeah. what I mean? Like, hey, there's sticks like, in this bag. Yeah. What is this, yeah. a rock? Dude, bro, it's $25 a quarter, just back off. Like, okay. And, and, the, and, the, and the, the hilarious side of that is like marijuana, which was was such a big deal. It's the least of anybody's problems in this yeah. world. It, you know what it I mean? It fucking like, better be the least of anybody's problems. Well, it's because, becoming that way. But the point was it was such the devil, right? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing you learned about when yeah. you're growing up. Yeah. Stay away from that. But that, those you know. pills are being prescribed by a medical a, a professional who's then being paid by the pharmaceutical company to prescribe the pills. Like, it's such a weird, crazy circle of, like, greed that you're just like, oh, yeah, so somebody is now, instead of, like, weaning off or, or like, dealing with this pain or having the proper surgery or doing whatever needs to be done, like, oh, if I just take a handful of these fucking pills every day, and then you mix, like, two, three drinks with that, and yeah. then you just start living your life like that. Yeah. And then you're, it, you're, it's not, it's gonna kill you. Yeah. Pills kill more people than, than... <laughs> I think they, I think a report just came well, out that that's where it's, it's headed. That's, well, 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 there's that, and then people are doing heroin. Because it's heroin... It's the same thing, right? It's the Kinda? same, it's the same thing, except... Pills are really expensive and they're hard to get. So I, 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 I think my understanding is that a pill could cost $75 if you're Just buying one. it from somebody. Yeah, you're, yeah, because they're really expensive. And if you don't have a prescription that you got from the 58th doctor you've gone to you know, and said that your hip hurt or whatever, you got to go and buy it from some dealer and they're charging up the ass for it. So then what people do is they turn and say, well, shit, heroin which is like, uh, it's like like cola. Like nobody really wants it anymore, so the price has gone way down. <laughs> and um, so you get the same... Like cola, everybody like from the cola? Midwest. Yes, yeah. I do. Um, 
And so people are buying heroin now, which used to be the only school. Now it's old school. Yeah. And then people are um, shooting or snorting heroin, and they don't know what they're getting. And I don't know all the science behind it, so right, please right, forgive right. me. But we all know people are dying. Yeah. yeah. Right? Th- that much we know. So we, we're, not, we're, we're not having a statistical no. you yeah. know, and, debate and here. We're what, just bad it's, news. And, yeah. it, and, it's, and it's crazy how, it, how there's so much heroin in small towns now. Like, I'm from a small town in Illinois, and there have been two heroin deaths just of people I know. They're kids. You know yes. what I mean? Like, yeah. It's, it's like, I mean, epidemic sounds, I don't know, but it, it's, it's bad. You know what I mean? It is bad. And, and, and it does start with like, Get a hold of your mom's oxycontin, and then yeah. take these and snort yeah. these, and then well, that's not enough, and we can't get any more. So this is only twenty five dollars a bag. That's, that's oh exactly God. what it is. Yeah, give I it mean, to me. Twenty years ago, people were listening to Marilyn Manson and shaving off their eyebrows. Right, right. That was like their their way of getting their no one understands me shit right. out into the world. Now people are just and by the way, I'm a cyclist, so like I was riding this morning, and I think about this from time to time. You don't know. Who just swallowed four Vicodin? No, and is driving right next to you, and like you know, people do the California stop here, right? Where they Roll there's the white the line, sign. there's the white line that's like four feet back from the corner, <laughs> right, 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 from right. from like the, what you call the true corner, and I do this too, so whatever. Yeah, but when you're riding a bike, and if you're riding down like Hollywood Boulevard, and people constantly roll over that white line, and you're like shitting yourself because you, yeah. you keep thinking you're going to get hit. What happens when it's a day when somebody just took like? Four or six pills and drank some vodka, and they're driving to work. Yeah, and they don't even know their fucking name. No. I can swear on this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And Thanks it's like, and I, by the way, you know, I, I, I've not had that, but I think that that's like happening. And and you smell people smoking pot in their car every day when all you're the time. About. All Since the time. it became legal, it is hilarious. You, you, that's that's a smell that's just part of. It, it must blow people away when they travel here now because it's just nonstop, right? <laughs> if you if you came from like especially like three or four years ago, if you came from Illinois and went to Venice Boulevard, you'd be like, <laughs> "What are you guys doing, man?" Like I was just like, "Nothing. We're gonna smoke this, dude." There's cops right over there. I go, "Oh, those guys do not give they, a." They fuck. don't have they don't that care. kind of time in their they, lives, dude. There's just so much crime going on that they really need. Like I remember years ago, the mayor of West Hollywood or the sheriff of West Hollywood was like, "Here's the deal." If you're walking down the street smoking a joint in West Hollywood and you're not bothering anybody, guess what? I'm going to leave you alone. <laughs> if you're out robbing banks and hurting people, yeah, I'm going to yeah. have to stop you. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It, it became like a it was just like we've got real crime to fight. The first time I ever went downtown Chicago to a, to a Grateful Dead show at Soldier Field in uh, 92 I was walking, like, we, we took a case of Budweiser down there with us. Of course. And, uh, old, old style. <laughs> yeah, oh, dude. And, uh, and I'm walking, and I'm drinking beers, and all of a sudden, I see two cops on horses, and I'm like, shit. Of course. And I don't know where to go. And this guy mm. next to me, this old guy next to me goes, hey, kid. I go, yeah. He goes, do you think they have time to deal with you and your Budweiser? And I go, what? And he goes, they got real crime to fight, man. And I, <laughs> and I looked at the cops, and the cops were just like, yeah. And I was like, Boop, all right. And I was like, you're right. You know, as long as you're not... And then I was in New Orleans when I turned 21, and my buddy was like, we were at Jazz Fest, and he goes, the only, on Bourbon Street, and he goes, the only way we could go to jail right now is if we both stab somebody in the eyes in front of those cops. Otherwise, there's, oh, like, yeah. we can't do anything that's that they're going to they worry about. Cops in New Orleans do not give yeah, a chef. And that was right around the time they were about to execute, this was a 96 or something like that, when they were about to execute uh, four police officers for being corrupt. Like, they wow. were on death row. It was a wow. big deal. Yeah. It was crazy. New Orleans is is so upside down with crime. Oh and, yeah, <laughs> and it, 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 it's scary. I mean, we don't 
My wife and my wife is from there, and oh, wow. we have a place there, and we spend a lot of time there. You don't walk down the street, certainly alone, at night. You just don't, and it's not about good neighborhood, bad neighborhood. It's just people are getting um, mugged, beat up, um, you know, pistol whipped, whatever. For there's no reason, there's no there's no prediction is about it. it, it is it just worse? Is it worse since, since Katrina? Is it has become the problem become more rampant because I, I of because so, yeah. of yeah. how decimated that area became? I think the police there's, some, there's something wrong with. I don't know if it's that, but there's something wrong with the police there. I, I mean, are they it's still super corrupt? Like, is it like, that they gave sure. up? I think the cops there. And this is a bad joke, and Brian's brother is in law enforcement, so I, I always have to remember that, and he's the greatest uh, guy ever. He has a mustache. <laughs> um, he's had a mustache for decades. Um, like which I th- yeah, well, he, he shaved he, it finally. He did? Yeah. yeah, last time I saw him in Madison, he didn't have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He, he, he goes on and off now. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, that's good. So the, uh, <laughs> so it, the thing about, it, about New Orleans is that they like it takes them forever. It's worse even than LA. Like like our place is right down the street from a police station. Oh, to get it there. It takes like twenty minutes. <laughs> they walk. Yeah, they just they're just like they don't really give a shit. Yeah. And um yeah, there there's people, you guys may not know this. There's there's I don't even know who it was. I don't think they ever caught them. There were people going into like really nice restaurants. Like imagine like Awakwa, uh mm-hmm. here in Los Angeles and in, in Atwater, like places like that. Um Dudes will come in, ski masks on, like three or four of them. One guy locks the door. They all roll in there with guns. Everybody on the floor. They take everybody. Watches, wallets, cash from the- This is like some 1970s movies shit. And it was happening all over Uptown New Orleans. So there's some prediction there, right? Yeah. You kind let's of like keep our eye out. on these restaurants. Yeah, let's let's take put it out. some guys in the yeah, restaurants. Put some let's, bait. Yeah. Let's put, have, put a Rolex on the front window. And let's have some <laughs> undercovers in there. And well, let's, yeah. okay. And in defense of them, I will let you guys know that um, just because I have so much long. The problem is they're underfunded and they're understaffed. Correct. And sometimes our, our misconception is that they don't care versus like- They don't have the funds. They just can't. And, and, and it's not just their problem. It's it's a it's a uh, a country ride problem where yeah. where we also as a society are partly responsible for creating so many felons, right? right. Yeah. By lack of opportunity, ultimately, will breed more of the bad. It's just it, I'm not saying bad people are bad people, but if somebody's on the fence and they don't see an opportunity ahead of them and they see yeah. an easier opportunity to throw a mask on, yeah, and get and paid, steal someone's Rolex, they're probably going to lead that way because they've been told. That the land of opportunity doesn't exist for them, yeah. And so there's there's so it, it's it's far more complex, which is kind of shitty. But the the easiest thing right now would be like, well, then just get more, you know, more law enforcement out there. But you then people again, go, be the, careful, because now money. it's a militant state, yeah. And then, and then you got blah, tanks, yeah. and then who knows, yeah. you know, martial law, I, martial law, yeah. All the that thing crazy about shit. New Orleans cops is that man, they hit they hit the Dunkin' Donuts pretty hard down there. It's, They're fatties. It's unbelievable how fat they are. Yeah, I but, just I can't. That's like when you go to a gym. I, like, I, like, I get that whole speech. Just like one more thing about the police. If I'm it's it's <laughs> like it's really crazy. It's, they smoke be... in their cars. Remember? Oh they, god, the windows just <laughs> in L.A. They 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 quote unquote outlawed that, and I still see cops smoking in their cars all the time. Yeah, of, well. of course, they're above the law. Speaking of felons and people, let them have their vices as long people, as they don't hurt anybody. And people who go to jail for reasons that you know may or may not be worth the two million dollars a head it costs every year or whatever. There's a guy in Missouri, I believe it's Missouri, I might be wrong, I think it's Missouri though, I read about it today, who is uh, claiming he's Prince's biological son, he's 40 years this old. This is the first paternity he's in claim? Prison. Yeah, he's in prison for, for a possession of a firearm. 
and he's in prison for like seven years and they file the thing in court and then his mom um, filed an affidavit saying like I didn't have I had sex with Prince in a hotel room in St. Louis in 1976 and um, I hadn't had sex with anybody for six weeks prior and for nine months after and the first thing I thought was and I read this just this morning what the fuck are you talking about? Right? <laughs> that was 40 years ago, and you're now going, yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have, this is where Prince got that, that lyric. I, you know, didn't have sex for nine months and six weeks. What was that song? Um, where he quotes the, the number of days and, uh, and months. Yeah, it's been seven hours and 14. Sinead O'Connor. So it's he must have transposed that. Nine months and six so, weeks. So suddenly... Um, Forty years later, yeah. you're going to the courthouse in St. Louis and 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 handing in a paper saying, yeah. "Yes, I remember the events yep. of 41 years ago," and here it is on paper. Um, we're going to roll over to Minneapolis and collect our money. And it may, and it may be true, but if it's not, that's also not a surprise. It, it's called it opportunist. If it you know is I mean? true, why wouldn't she have tried to contact Prince before? Maybe she did. She probably did. She probably did. But I, I, I actually have an answer be. for that. Um, I have an answer. She was busy. The guy, <laughs> the guy has seven other siblings, oh. none of whom have the same father. Yeah. Oh my god! Fucking amazing! And they're all like, it's all like Rick James, Michael exactly. Jackson. Exactly. <laughs> she just fucks everybody who comes through town, like James Brown. We, we have success. We have sex <laughs> successfully fi- uh, sued for paternity in six other cases. Yeah, Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> I feel like that's such an old old way to roll. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I feel like people don't roll like that anymore. I think like I don't know, that's just my No, they don't, but I mean, look, if she's taking care of seven kids and she's loving seven kids and they're having fun, whatever. No, but I mean, I'm saying like that whole concept of like I'm just going to fuck every rock star I see. I don't, I just remember growing up and you would hear that in Milwaukee about I remember the first time I think I heard it was Charles Barkley or somebody wow. got in trouble in Milwaukee and yeah. and, a, and it was a fight that and there was also paternity suits and I was like paternity suits are like, yeah, dude, Professional athletes, they just, they go around. I mean, they got groupies. I'm like, groupies? Like, you know, when you're first yeah. starting to hear it, yeah. yeah. and you're like, tell me more. I don't Will understand. Will fucked over. Yeah, yes. And then that book comes out, you know, about, yeah. yeah. And you're just like, I don't, re- this is, there's, a, there's this whole subculture. And they're like, yeah. And then you have Gene sides. Simmons. No one's ever claimed to be the son of Gene Simmons. No one's ever wanted to. Is that what right. you mean? Well, he wouldn't yeah. share anyway. Well, he's got a son. And that son's probably like, dude, dad, please be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> On the t- I've watched that TV show. I have to admit, is it I've, still on? Uh, probably not, but I've watched uh, no, it like okay. in hotel rooms, and I find it shockingly addictive. The thing about Gene Simmons is that he seems like a cool guy. He's from Israel, which is like you know we none of us knew any of that shit when we were growing up. Right? No, they, was, how, he speaks how would like they, twelve languages. How or would they use yeah. that as part of their promotional material for the band Kiss? There's yeah. just there's look, no if, way if, to work if, it if, in. If they could yeah. have, they would have. And there and there, you're right. There must be no way to work it in because if anybody could, could find well, a way to milk money out of something, it's fucking Kiss. But it's pretty amazing. I mean, the right. dude, the dude literally like had no connection. To Western culture at all, I'll say Western, like right, basically right, American right. culture at right. the time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. those he and Paul Stanley. I I don't know if the other two guys were really in on it. They're pretty smart dudes. Like they came up with something that mesmerized tens of millions of kids mm-hmm. to this day, and now they own a football team. <laughs> Which, the L.A. Kiss. Like what? In the fu- I see those billboards <laughs> and I go like. What sad fucker is going to that game? I don't know, because no one talks about it. (laughs) No one. I've never heard the words L.A. Kiss. (laughs) I'm going to try out next season. I think you I got probably a, could. I got exactly. a shot. Like exactly. the quarterback, I'm all like frumpy and slow. Let me tell you something. He doesn't have a good arm, but there he is. We all know 
that when they find when they because they, they probably did it because they're the master marketers they probably had an open an open call for yeah. players yeah we know that at least ten percent of those motherfuckers showed up with makeup on their faces absolutely yeah. and, right? and I, I think you and have to be like shoulder rec- pads you have to be able to recite the titles of all four of their solo albums <laughs> yeah in order before to get, you can even yeah. catch a pass exactly you have to, where yeah. do they play do we even know anything about I think they teams? play in I want to know if they're still Anaheim. a team because I don't think there's that's still a th- that was oh, like two years even, ago I think and then that was like I think they're still a team oh really it's arena football do you know is, arena football still exists yeah, I believe it yeah. does but do you do you remember because they, they used to have the LA used to have the Avengers do you remember that? No. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, because I, I the best I went to a, 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 an arena football game. This kid I know, whose cousin played for the Arizona Rattlers, who ended up winning the championship two years in a row, came to LA. Fun fact: came to LA to play the Avengers. So we went to the Avengers game. I'm sure I've told this on here a million times, but like at at the after the half, the LA was down. It was like 34 17. They're getting their asses kicked, and the announcer, as halftime is starting, he comes on, and we're in LA, and he's like. Ladies and gentlemen, the score of the game is Arizona Rattlers 34, LA Avengers 17. <laughs> and everybody starts cheering. And I'm like, he just said you guys are losing by a good couple of touchdowns. And you're all fucking cheering. They like, don't care. There was like dudes with shirts off. I was like, you guys are breeding stupidity. Like their kids were looking at him like, this is how you behave in public. I was like, oh my God. That's they don't because they don't care. Um, all right, we have like way diverted in in, oh, yeah. in 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 the actual. Uh, no, we're not. It's just fine. This is this is the uh, how we should do it. But we should take. Uh, you know, we should go back in time a little bit in respects to. Uh, you googled it. Did you find out? What, yeah, they, they still exist, they still but they exist. they got they, they're not in. What's called? They're in, Anaheim, they're, in right? they're in Inland Empire. They they're, play they're, out like oh, wait. Carson or something. Well, they play where the uh, the Anaheim Ducks play, so that's Anaheim. Okay. <laughs> they share the the Honda Center. Oh, okay. Um, they are in the AFL, the Arena Football League. They joined the AFL as an expansion team, uh, and they apparently had prior priorly been in Arena Football One, which whatever the hell that's called. It's owned by Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, and their manager Doc McGee. Doc who's, a, who's a character? Doc who's a McGee. Character. Have we you met a, him? We, I've talked to him on the phone. So, yeah. all right. So, we should go back for a second. <laughs> finish your story real quick, and then we'll go back in time with you. Oh, Doc McGee. Uh, we had my we had Ryan Brown on the show. He's a friend of mine who mm-hmm. works with like uh, he'll handle dudes on the road, like Manson and Vince Neil and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And Doc McGee has always been like his idol. Like when he was a kid, he's like, man, I want to wow. be Doc McGee. I want to be like that tour manager guy, that guy who handles all that shit. I just want he he liked that whole concept. Okay. <clears throat> so he Ryan. Kiss was actually playing with Eminem uh, and Bush out at the Inland Empire for some weird thing. And, and my friend Ryan had to take a guitar from Schechter to Paul Stanley. So we went out there and got these passes and got to watch the show. In the middle of the show, like I started drinking beers. My friend drove. So I was like, hey, all right, beers. And the concert was great, whatever. <clears throat> middle of Kiss playing, Doc McGee walks right by us. And my buddy goes, holy shit, Doc McGee. And he turns around and he goes, yeah? And then he goes, <laughs> he goes, oh, Ryan Brown. He goes, I'm a, huge, I'm a huge fan of what you do, man. I really like you. And he's like, oh, cool. And then Ryan hands me his phone. He goes, dude, get a picture of us. And I go, of course. I go of course. okay. And they put their arms around each other, you know? And I take the picture and I'm super drunk. And I take the picture and I'm like, I got it. Oh, fuck. They shake hands. He walks off into the crowd, disappears, right? Yeah. My friend looks at the phone. It's like him next to my thumb. <laughs> he was like, you yes. piece of shit. Yes. I was like, oh, sorry, man. Well, I'll see if Jeff can get a reunion, reunited, uh, what is it we'll called, a redemption. Uh, yeah. yeah, talk to him on the phone. We'll get Doc to send a, a photo of himself and you can put it but together. Put it together. Like, oh, <laughs> superimpose my thumb out of it. So let's go back in time. Um, uh, 
Jeff, uh, your, your your story arc is uh, is is amazing. It goes all over the place. A lot of this, John, is going to be a surprise to you because you obviously don't know Jeff that well. But let's just start back. You grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, and in Milwaukee, Axel's um, McBobs. Well, you would be you would be more like a Southsider, right? That's because they're like the whole Laverne yeah. and Shirley kind of thing, right? Yeah. If, if to give people perspective, he's Lenny of what <laughs> what life was like for you growing up. Like what what was Milwaukee like when you were growing up? Um, I mean, I grew up on the the South Side, which is entirely blue collar. Mm-hmm. Everybody goes to work at a factory or a loading dock, shots or, brewery, yeah, some sort of a industrial situation. The I didn't know anybody exactly foundries, yeah. truck drivers, whatever. You know, where I grew up, nobody's um, parents were executives or had any kind of a management job. I was never really aware of that at all. And I really grew up in one neighborhood and then went to a sort of a far older neighborhood where my dad owned a corner bar, which gave me yet another glimpse into Milwaukee, which was like (laughs) at least the people where I grew up, like, you know, had a house with a front lawn and, you know, generally I would notice people's, you know, the husband would come home from work in those days. Usually dudes work back then. And... I noticed in my dad's bar that, well, none of these guys are really going home. They, they get off work and they go to the bar. And that may have been happening in the neighborhood where I grew up, but I never really noticed it. Right. And so um, I sort of had two different glimpses into Milwaukee. Um, one was the sort of fairly normal blue-collar situation, and the other one was dudes who drank their paychecks. Right. Well, and, my grandfather did that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and my dad um, supported our family by... Um, being the guy who cashed people's paychecks at the bar, took their money for all kinds of gambling shit, and and it, yeah, explain that just so you know the bar, this traditional bar, like this. Yeah, it's like, these are those corner bars that almost look like houses sometimes, right? Now, yeah, were you, it looked a bit of, like a house, right? And and it wasn't just a bar, right? You said your dad kind of started opening all sorts of side businesses inside. Well, I mean, it was of, just a bar for the legal purposes. No, 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 but no, no, there no, was not, probably not also bet, bookmaking. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah, but I'm just saying. But didn't weren't you? T- I remember you telling me something yeah. like he had like he was selling he was selling food. meat there, food, yeah, food there because like a he knew that at some point they had to bring shit home, right? They had some responsibilities, so he he kind of I don't they capitalized on it but he opened up a new side business i don't think to- he ever even thought of it that way i think he thought oh shit i can i can sell these people meat and <laughs> eggs and cheese when really yeah but if but that but what you just said if they come home if they come there after work and their wife's like don't forget the milk to eggs and they're like shit can i get uh of course, another bread. round another round for yeah. me and my buddies and i need to yeah. grocery shop over yeah. here to fucking you would you would put in a fucking meat order on like by tuesday afternoon and it would be there thursday so Probably most people who are listening to this don't know what a paycheck is. In terms <laughs> of, you know, every, everything's like on yes. online now. So it's deposited right into your account then, yeah. or so like I think some people will get yeah, paid even on Wednesday. They will get paid on Wednesdays, even yeah. certainly Thursdays and Fridays. Right. So the idea is you would order your meat. My dad would get it from either Clements or You Singers, which are the big meat companies. And how he got all that meat was because dudes who were truck drivers at those companies would put in the orders for him. And they would do it on like their employee discount, so he'd get a vig on it, and um, and then we would drive out to some farm. My dad had a pickup truck with like a cap on the back, and we would drive out to some farm and get double yolk eggs, um, which is still like one of the best terms ever. Double yolk. And then eggs. we would we would get like huge things of meat, and we had an old school meat slicer at home, and part of our chores slice at home the was meat. to slice the meat and package it in one pound or half pound. 
bags and you know like a butcher label paper it. and yeah. label it, and then you put them all in a box and he'd take it there. And there was just like it wasn't a deli; there was just a giant cooler like you'd see in a gas station with the sliding door. We had one of those. I remember we got it, and um, it was like a big deal to us that we had like a Coca Cola cooler with the yeah. sliding door. It was like. I kind of felt like we had a Cadillac. <laughs> yeah, people would come by and be like, have you seen? The- oh, you yeah. <laughs> oh, it slides. Oh, I can Before that, it he too. had to put all that shit in one of the coolers behind the bar. That, like the uh, top uh, top loading? No, or- the, just a regular one with oh. the door open where you kind of bend over and get yeah. the beer bottle. Yeah. But then there was not enough room for the beer. And this is the kind of bar where we would know that so-and-so you know, old school dude wanted like Miller um, shorties, which are now back. I don't yeah. know if you've yeah. seen that. I have yeah. not, but no yeah. surprise there. Like the little seven-ounce bottle oh, okay. with, the, with the triangulated top. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did see and that. And some guys, <laughs> they would want blats. One guy wanted blats. Oh, and had to be, blats, and baby. And he liked it warm. He liked it warm what? With, with pepper. Oh, okay. What? Yeah. Tell that guy to go home. That guy <laughs> needs to go home. No, but that's, that's, God, that's it's, it's OG. such a different that's like, area. That's very, gra- that's very grandpa. That, yeah. That's very. From a, that's from like a few generations away what from What is me. he trying to get rid of? Like, that's what you have to ask yourself when someone's like. <laughs> my, my, <laughs> what, what demon is he chasing out in his soul? <laughs> With all that pepper. Well, my no, grandpa the, used to put salt and pepper on his beer, too, and I was always like. What was that about? I think it, 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 I, the salt, I believe, kills the, the foaminess. That's right. Yeah, so maybe does. they wanted a flatter I don't know anyway then but some guys would come in gnarly. some guys would come in and my gut my dad would go oh, yeah uh, Rick the mouth was just went to the doctor <laughs> his he's got to cut down on the you know whatever and so the guy would get diet coke and Jim Beam like that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be the way down. they do it yeah fucking diet coke yeah dude you gotta oh, you look you got you're getting too fat all right I'm gonna switch to diet coke yeah that, that would be the deal yeah. I'm gonna have 42 right? of those a day until they tell me that causes cancer like literally yeah. like there would be all these different things some guys would come in I mean, there would be dozens of people who would come in, you know, throughout the week before they went to work. Yeah, and your they dad opened early, huh? Yeah, but I believe we opened at six, so we had to be there Ooh, at five. Fuck yeah! Like as little kids. Yeah, how old were you when you started That's helping out? Bar. Third grade. Third grade. Third grade. You were helping out. So the my bar. dad pulled us out of the um, neighborhood public school when busing started. Milwaukee, I believe. I know Milwaukee and New Orleans were both on the like. One day from the federal deadline of when you had to do busing, meaning busing to different areas. So yeah, you remember this whole idea? Segregating, yeah, correct. Yeah, right. Or what did they call it? desegregation? Desegregation. Yeah, with the, yeah. I'm sorry, sorry. So, so we, yeah, yeah. but I get your point. Right? Yeah, they, yeah. They're basically saying we have to have people of all different colors at every school, and we're going to get them there by You'll, bus. By bus. Yep. Right. So presumably some white kids went to black neighborhoods yep. and vice versa. Back then we didn't say African American yet. Right. Yeah. Now we say African American. So. Right. One day in third, my first day of third grade, there were African American kids in my school. I actually, I remember that there were before that. I don't know what, maybe, Probably, but they had to bring me a quota. I'm sure or that's what it was. was yeah. It was some bullshit. And my dad, um, you know, these are not this is like not my morals or whatever. Right. My dad, your my, dad's from a different time, and yeah, was he's old school. And yeah. the idea is that each generation gets less and less racist, right? That, that's the idea. That's, that's the, the idea. idea. He did say I, idea. He did say until idea. you go somewhere. Well, right. I'm yeah. saying from where Midwest <laughs> in general, yeah. that seems yeah. to be what and the, bizarrely, the trend. My dad grew up in a neighborhood um, on the north side of Milwaukee, which was um, to give you an example. The, the first house my grandparents bought in Milwaukee. They sold it to a black family. And not only that, but which some people, you know, we all here heard the stories and we've seen it in the movies. You know, some people would say, you know, I don't like the religion you are. I'm mm-hmm. not selling you my house. Yes. I'll wait for the next person. Yeah. My grandfather and grandmother sold their house to an African-American family. 
uh, before that term was used. And not only that, but they sold it to him on a land contract. So they apparently they put money down, and then they paid my grandparents every month, like without a bank involved. Oh, wow. And so my dad was like, on the one hand, teaching us all these amazing um, stories from his life that when he was growing up in that neighborhood, all of his friends were African-American. And then sold the house to an African-American family. They moved, you know, like a mile away to mm-hmm. Wauwatosa, yep. um, which is like a you know, border suburb of Milwaukee. But then, um, you know, whatever number of years later, 40 years later, my dad, or 30 years later, my dad um, pulled us out of the public school and put us in a Catholic school, which was all white, yeah. um, very like lower middle class, all white, and it was four blocks from his bar. So that's why we started working in his bar, okay. basically. The and then third going day to school. Third, yeah, right after we got got all beard up and cigarette smoked up, then we would then Jeez. walk to school. Oh yeah, and people smoked in that bar too. Well, there that, was no, oh yeah, yeah, there was no. Dude. You just to clarify, put, it was, put down it was the, the cigs. Was the bar ever closed? Or, or yeah, because you have the third. He opened for third shifters, right? It was the third shift. Well, bar? if he opened at six a.m., yeah. What time did he close? He closed at two. So it was only morning for four hours. For four hours. Yeah. God, he's like a New Orleans. That's yeah. Fucking. Yeah. Guys, can you leave for a second? I got to sweep. All right, you come back. So in. my dad wouldn't. My usually my dad would close and my stepmother would open. Okay. So she would drive us there smoking in her car with the windows well, up. Dude, course. she had to have the six <laughs> and with uh, leaded gas. And then we would go there and clean the ashtrays. Would there uh, be the guy? Was there always the one guy waiting outside for it to open up? The of course, as as yellow eyes. Like, of course, gotta get in there. He's got a yeah. note from his granddaughter yeah. that says, "Please don't give my grandfather any exactly. liquor." And it's like, if I don't exactly. give it to him, he's getting it from somewhere it else. It was. It was. And and by the way, one of the things that I that I, I I still can feel the excitement in my body when I tell you this. I was so excited, even like as a fourth or fifth grader. Um, my dad could tell you. Um, you should call him after this. Um, <laughs> when I started serving um, behind the bar. Because the rule in Milwaukee is if you're related to the license holder by blood, you can serve. Whatever. No matter, no, no matter the age. Irrespective of your age. So, like, I, I definitely in grade school, like, was you know, like, what, what do you need? Drinks. You need two. Oh, yeah. And I would fucking love, like, I knew how to tip the glass, you know, when you're pulling the tap. Yeah. I knew how to tip the glass and pour the perfect beer. It was amazing. Now, you weren't doing Tom Cruise cocktail shit. No. You were just doing no, beer. You were just pouring beer. Fifth grade, but no, I mean, I want, like I'm just school. curious. No. If you, you didn't try to get a little sass, like, Dad, can I make an Arnold Palmer? No. No, I don't okay. ever remember making a, a mixed drink. It would always maybe shots. Because no guy would shots. want you to make a mixed drink for no. him anyway, because they don't want you no. fucking it up. And right? by the that way, way, this was mostly dudes drinking a shot yeah. and a beer. Yeah, can I have oh, a shot of whiskey? Oh, they were straight. They were just your style. regular shot remember, of whiskey. Paps, the shot of whiskey. Blast, all a shot that. Of whiskey, all Schlitz, that. a shot of whiskey. It would be a lot of paps, like a motherfucker, like yeah. an entire cooler filled with paps, those brown bottles. Yeah. And then Miller, the the champagne bottles. The high life. I don't remember what else. So but. you would open up at six o'clock. Did you ever? Were yeah. there guys that never that got there at six and, and stayed until two a.m. and close? Were there? Or would some people eventually go home? Like, but were there extended stay? People? Or was it like oh, a yeah. shift? Like the people who go to work. And did that? Did you? Did, did, did was there? Did you ever? When did you start making a connection between a sad life and what was going on? There? Oh, was it pretty early. You did. Okay. Yeah, and, and there must have been guys who sat there all day. There was a guy named Alex who's now deceased. A lot of these guys are not living yeah, anymore you would, you because figure, they, they yeah. live pretty rough lives. There's a guy, there was a guy named Alex who was, who was a real sweetheart, but then he would get loaded, and he stopped being a sweetheart. Surprise, surprise. Um, and he would typically sit at the very end of the bar. Um, the bar was like a half circle, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he would sit at the very end of the bar so he could lean against the wall. Like, I'm not kidding you. 
and he probably weighed 75 pounds, and he had like a, like a, we would call him joke. Me and my brother Dean and my two stepbrothers, we had fucking nicknames for, for everybody. everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Because everybody was a clown. So in Alex there, looked like yeah. the Joker on Joker's Wild. He had like this little triangular Colonel Sanders beard. Right. His hair was greased back. He had like double knit polyester pants on, like always with a perfect crease. He was like a pretty badass looking dude, like a sweater, like a sweater vest. With some sort of he a pattern. He sounds like a rockabilly kind of, like yeah. a, not intentionally, but not he was like, then, but yeah. we, but we would just have all these names right. for people. Some of them were really mean, but yeah, and, but you were kids, kid. man. Yeah. And we were, we were like, there was like an observational humor thing going on for all of them. They would observe us and make jokes about us, and it's like you know when we were like little kids, we would be like, you know, imagine they're still adults, right? Even though they're wasted and all that, you know. And I remember. Um, at some point when I was a teenager and I got into the Smiths and I stopped eating meat, I remember um, I, would, I, would, I used to like eating the microwave cheeseburgers. But, but uh, Morrissey I, didn't have a song about microwave cheeseburgers. He so just I stopped eating them. Just meat is... Mur- yeah, right, that's right. right. <laughs> and so I, then I, I would then eat potato chips with ketchup that for like my meal. Yeah. There. And so I remember one guy going like, um, hey, your father told me you don't eat meat anymore. And I was like, I, I'd just be mortified. Here, here we go. But again, I grew up with these. I yeah. literally grew up with these people, right. to be honest with you. Right. I, I mean, I spent more time with these people. I had no friends growing up. So like, I, I really, I would ride my bike everywhere. I had no friends. And these people were like, sometimes the only people I'd talk That's to. That's your socializing was them. Yeah, it's true. Except for the like, collecting money on my paper route. And so I, I remember this guy going, I was like, yeah, I don't eat meat. And, and you know, they were like, fucking dumbfounded they, this guy and then other people would chime in and then i remember the guy going wait a minute you don't eat meat and i said no i really don't and he he i remember he goes like not even pork chops <laughs> that was i'll never forget that line so great i'm sure i've told you that line he's like, he's like i could stop everything else but fucking pork chops. <laughs> so amazing so amazing that just so defines that generation yes. though too how, yes. how important pork chops were well that's the whole your meal was meat <laughs> right was i like, mean no one talks <laughs> about fucking pork chops anymore either vegetables what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> no one talks about pork chops anymore it's no. true they I'm don't sorry. no one's really like dude you start oh you're a vegetarian you must miss pork chops yeah. Yeah. Nobody, <laughs> pork nobody says that anymore. they really they really it was like a it was like a, a time capsule i don't think i knew that at the time but like yeah, dudes were like betting on everything. My dad would bet on even, he had things going even for things that are hard to gamble on, like basketball. I think basketball is a tough thing to bet on from what I understand. I don't know. I'm not much Football of a Football is a big one that people bet on, right? Yeah. And maybe they were betting on big horse races. Okay. But there was always guys, um, my dad had a whole ring of dudes who worked in different factories or shops as they called them. And so like, you know, they would go and do all the numbers at their shop. They'd bring it into my dad with the money. And then he called the shit into Vegas. That was always, that was always it. Call it into Vegas. The, the phone would ring in our house, or at his bar, and if he'd say, "Oh, this is Vegas. I got to take this," you know. Did he have a really long cord so he could take it into a private room? No, I, I know. It's funny. I have no recollection of, of the, him going into a cord room. Or, or just have him going in another room. <laughs> yeah, he's just. I got to take it, and this is the conversation. And that I was have. it. And he always had this little booky uh, book, and, and I, I never. For some reason, I despised sports because of all that. Like, I just, I never Isn't found the joy really? in any or, of it. Wow. And now I, you do by, by saying all the wrong things about them. Well, yeah, that's then that's in my thing. comedic yeah. thing. I actually know a lot more about it than yeah, I ever learned. Now you do. Thanks to your it. wife. Thanks to your wife, you know a lot more about it. It was never because of me. The, um, so, a, a couple quick questions. One, is the bar still open? Does no, it even no, exist? Has no, it been knocked it, down? No, is it closed? Like, my dad and his wife 
um, split up after I moved here in 2001. But it, so it was still functioning as oh, of yeah. 2001. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And okay. they split up like two years later. And then um, like somehow they split up the business and some drama went on with that. Surprise, surprise. And then she kept running the bar and then one day there was a fire there and it, maybe she sold it. And then one day there was a fire and the entire thing is burned down. Oh, now. Okay. Ah. So you go by there, which I've done once. Okay. And it's like the entire corner is just grass. Ah. Okay. So which is a nothing. bummer to me because it was yeah. like my history. Yeah. Yeah. You have, you, yeah. It would be nice if it was still being run by like like another guy bought it from your dad I or something. I probably would have fucking like, bought it at this point and, and had our friends run it. Right. Because yeah. it would be like a hipster thing now. Yeah. yeah. I don't know you that that neighborhood is. You could still serve Pabst is, and you could, I mean, you well, could still serve the same beer. And Pabst is located in Los Angeles yeah. now. Did you guys know that? Like, That's crazy. Well, the Pabst in, in uh, Milwaukee is, I believe, where you live now. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the holding company that owns Pabst um, right now is based in downtown LA. Yeah. And it's brewed somewhere else. Which is why we see it so much around Correct. here, which would totally make sense. All right. So <clears throat> um, when did you start getting into music? Because I know you touched on this, the Smiths thing. And that's it. Oh, yeah. There's always this interesting um, dynamic with me and, and music is like, how do you choose the music you end up liking? Like, some people are like, I only love country, or some people are like, I only love rock and roll, or I only like rap, or I love this. Um, I, I, I was, it's, I, where, where did you fall into that? Like, how did you discover music? I, I remember um, one of my earliest memories is my brother Scott, who who was seven years older than me, playing the Beatles. We had like one of those console turntable stereos when my parents were married, which was very early in my life. I think they got divorced when I was three or four. And he would play um, the Beatles. He had a lot of Beatles records. <clears throat> I think he had all of the Beatles records because at that time there were only so many. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> right. And, yeah. and they hadn't put out all the greatest hits and all right, that. Right. And so let's say in 1975 or maybe 1974 when I was two, I remember him playing the Beatles Love Me Do and that harmonica riff. You know, it's one of those great major minor songs. So it's a very driving song, but it's very sad. And that fucking harmonica scared the hell out of me in the beginning of that song. And once he recognized that it would make me cry, he would go back and pull the needle back and start it again the minute it ended. And then he'd go back and start it over again. And I would just run around screaming. Wow. And so, and brothers, then, man. You know, that's, brothers. A, that's a bad company line, too, from uh, Shooting Star. He goes, Johnny was a schoolboy when he heard his first Beatles right, song, Love Me right. Do, I think it was. And from there, right. It didn't oh, my take God. I had never even really thought about that. Oh, that's uh, like my favorite bad company song. It's but a yeah. great song. Yeah. And, um, and then my mom would play Neil Diamond. Mm. So oh, nice. I, I, I developed a real um, love for Neil Diamond. You know, the stories in his songs. I think I really picked up on the emotion in his songs. Which is odd for, for they say, with boys and men, they don't really listen. They're not really um, typically lyrically driven. Right. They love the beat. It's Correct. what gets them going. It gets yeah. with their testosterone all amped Correct. up, right? You know, yeah. America. But like you were actually were paying attention. Yeah, I really, and I, and I think, if I really think back about it, I, I recognize my mom loving Neil Diamond and like you know, she would listen to, like in a psychotic um, way, or like no, I think she made she, dolls of him and was no, like, I think she just liked playing the records yeah. at, in the house, and like I remember "Forever in Blue Jeans" as a song that I really, I really liked. <laughs> I, I don't, I had no idea what it was about. I still don't. But um, but <laughs> why I, are you laughing so much by that comment? There, there is there is a sketch on SNL where Will Ferrell is Neil Diamond doing storytellers, and he's like, "Not many people know this, but I wrote this song after I killed a transient to get an erection. It's called <laughs> Forever in Blue Jeans." <laughs> now I know why you're laughing. It's, that's okay. good. It's hilarious that's because good. like people are like, "I don't know what this song's about," and it's like, "Ah, who knows? I wrote yeah. it after I killed a hobo." Yeah. 
Now, but did you become a music, like, did you try to, at, at some point, did you start experimenting with different styles of music, or when did you kind of, or did you start gravitating towards one, and when did it start kind of forming who you were? I think that, um, like, I always loved the radio, and in Milwaukee, all we had was rock music, like, yeah. like rock, rock. Yeah, you you say that like it's a bad thing. There were there wasn't a lot of places in the Correct. country that had that No, at the time. but Milwaukee I know what he's a, talking about. There was always a riff in Milwaukee where it was just everything was too rock-centric. But, yeah. but, that's, but looking back at it now, it makes sense when you describe what Milwaukee was. It all made sense. They it's were all playing to the market. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, they're Blue playing Blue-collar rock markets. and rollers, man. So yeah. I listened yeah. to whatever was on the radio, Billy Squire. I loved Billy Squire. Um, Stroke me. Little, little did I know that was always my least favorite song but like you know emotions in motion and all that stuff I, I actually just went back and listened to all the Billy Squire great songs and those records are really cool we don't need to get way into that but right. the guy who produced those cool records was the guy that produced Queen the Game and things like that wow. which I never knew until like last year which is bizarre because I'm a fact freak and so um I really loved Iron Maiden like yeah. num- Number of the Beast Judas Priest Ozzy the first two Ozzy Solo records were to, are to this day two of my favorite records, and I listen to them all the time. And is that Diary of is that Blizzard of Oz and, and Diary of a Madman? Yeah, okay, yeah. So the two with um, Randy Rhodes. Yeah, we are some. We have a caller calling. I, I call every 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 show. It happens. So, John coughs. Caller calls. Caller, are you there? So oh, you're you know, and 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 a lot of other bands, but Van Halen was really the one. I mean, Van Halen was like you couldn't beat that. What was the What was the first like when you were like, oh fuck, what is this like? Well, I think we all had, um, I'm 43, I'll be 44 next week, so I think everybody, plus Different or minus, from our years. age, like Van Halen Eruption was like, that was the thing where everybody would would want to play that for you, or you'd want to play it for someone else, because it was so fucking crazy sounding. Yeah, yeah. Let me was, ask you a quick question. Let, let's let's branch off just real quick. The, sticking with what you just said, and we, I think we've, talk, we've touched on this in the show before. Because you, you you work in the, there's no surprise here, you work in the music business, and you and I have had several conversations about this stuff, but that moment right there, the wanting to share music, the sitting yeah. around a record player. You got to hear this. And everybody listening to it, the same thing happened with a couple comedy, major comedy albums back yep. in the day where Absolutely. People, people would come to somebody's house and yeah. be like, all right, so yeah. sit got around, new record, let's go. Make sure the lights aren't on too too strong, right? Yeah. Because you can't really experience something with light, apparently. So you have to... <laughs> light ruins everything. Right? Turn everything. the lights Just, down. We, we got to focus on one sense right now, everybody. Yeah. But, but do you... F- is that something that like you don't see that anymore? Because it's too easy to send an email and go check this out, check this link out of this song, and then you know that nobody that shared, does. Do you, <laughs> does the shared experience still happen in your and, mind? Oh, it, of it what you're describing? Does. Yeah. It does. Okay. What happens on streaming and on SoundCloud, and because you can you can like things on SoundCloud, you people can see what you're you can playlist. So playlisting is now exactly what you just described okay. it is but the, but you lose that like we're all sitting around somebody's basement you know having a few bong rips listening to whatever record or cd was just you purchased, absolutely you know? lose you know I mean? that. that's completely gone and like, yes and that was that was like a lot of fun even when because i played the guitar i played the guitar but not very well but like even just like sitting in someone's basement and like oh te- teaching someone chords or having someone teach you a riff or something that's still there was still more to that than me getting online and learning something and being like, okay, Correct. great. All know? of it is good for its own way. I yeah. think socialization is the, the new word. Globalization is everything mm-hmm. is just, you know, what we don't understand is the digital part of it. And well, we understand it, well, but like I it's just not what we know. What I we think I understand with. it too well at this point to the fact, to the point where I, like, 
I'm starting to get nervous because I'm not social anymore. Like I don't do any social shit because I'm always on, I can just be online and get all the information is, I need. But is that why? I think it's also I think your age comes with lack of like wanting, wanting to build to go more out. friendships yeah. and developing. I, I always say that true. too. I'm like I got friends. <laughs> I don't need any more. No, you get to an age where you're like I I hate to say this, but but developing a relationship with a new person you're almost comes with a tad bit of pre-exhaustion, right? Yeah. You don't want to go through all the, the steps it takes of course. to develop a strong relationship. It's like trying to watch a new television show and having them canceled after four fucking episodes. You're pissed off that you put that time in, right? That's yeah. really what a relationship comes and, into now. And as a, an adult, it's it's weird and uncomfortable to try to make friends. Like yeah. The last real friend I made was probably Anthony. And that was weird. We did a movie. He was on the same, we were on the same movie set. And I was like, we had lunch and I was, I was having a great time. And he was like, well, I got to go. And I'm like, <clears throat> What, you want to hear? I'll give you my number, and we'll like hang out. So like, it was the most awkward. He was like, "Yeah, cool, man." And then like, I'm like, "Oh, this dude's never gonna call me." And then I immediately go into this weird, yeah. like, "Why am I trying to make friends with a grown man? Like, <laughs> let him live his life. What am I gonna drag him into my shit?" Like, you're the last friend that I made. But see, but I was, but I, but I, and I didn't want to be his friend. You know, what happened? A How mutual happen? friend. We were at a comedy show. A mutual friend. He's like, man, I, I don't remember the conversation was awkward, like, because I don't remember anything. And he's like, no, dude, we, we've been around. We've, we've. I'm like, I okay, go, yeah, cool. We met before. And then a mutual friend of ours, Patrick Keen, is like, you guys would make really good friends. And I go, no, you know what? He didn't have kids and married. Like, I don't have that. There's just, just you know, no offense, man. It's just, of course, at the same time, we're at three clubs. If you looked over at Brian, going, yeah, I'm married. If you like pan the camera over, I'd be like, like I would be so fucking hammered at that place. <laughs> That I can see you, I'd be like, I don't need a new friend. <laughs> Thanks. I've got children. But it wasn't even that. I don't know what it was. I just felt like the lifestyles would never mesh. Like, what? why? Yeah, and but then, that's good. That's good. You don't want to be only have friends who have kids. No, but you know, then I realized very early on, and then we'll move back to you. I, I realized, because no, there's a, there, was a sm- <laughs> there was a small group of friends, and, and, and you know this because you yes. had kids in your life. Yeah. There's a small group of friends who have no problem showing up to a kid's birthday party because they're your friends. Absolutely. And they don't yeah. need kids. They want they the can, food. They, they, want, they, they, want, want, the they want the food, the you're, drink. You're gonna have and they beer. might see a, someone's hot mom. Yeah. yeah. Or a famous person. They'd be like, dude, I didn't know you knew that sure. person. So, but the point is... <laughs> all those things happened when I came over. <laughs> all, I was like, holy shit, is that Rob Cordry? And then I was like, oh, so, who's that chick with the uh, big boobs? And, yes. and then I drank all the Budweiser. And yeah. I like, got a ride home from somebody. And they all were wearing little tiny kids capes. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but, but, but that was okay. Like, I liked that having that yeah. uh, element. To the kids' party. I'm not against like just a straight-up kids' party where it's all parents. I think it's kind of fun to have a couple of your friends that you've always known who don't have kids that just show up and are like, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll spice it up for you. Well, you know, you're gonna, you got your kids' stuff, and they don't wreck anything. It's not like you fell over and knocked over the cake <laughs> Dick Van Dyke style, and, you know, all hell broke loose, right? You know, oh, but, I could, though. No, no, kids can do all that. Kids will take, pl- take care of all the wrecking shit. Like, I also on their think, own, like, you know? I'm not, like, best friends with your kids, but they don't hate me or anything either. So no, no, they like, all know you. They call yeah. you John Huck. They call you full names. All, anybody that they, they, uh, they see on television has full name. So That's right. Um, anyway, so I totally lost train. Oh, back to music. So when did you kind of hone like where, but it sounds like you didn't, it sounds like you were always were open-minded about the styles of music you had, but it, I, well, I, I, was when I met you, I felt you were a little more alternative. Yeah, because I'll tell you what happened. Um, something happened in my life. I liked what I liked and I always had a point of view. Um, there was, so in other words, there was stuff I didn't like. And I know some people who are like, oh, I just listen to what's on the radio. I was never that person. Okay. There were, there were bands or songs that I fucking hated and back then, you had two choices. One, you just listened through it while you were doing your paper route. Or I used to walk around and like just listen to walk shit. Walk with tapes? Like you were, you, yeah, of you course. Or the radio. radio. I mean, oh, okay. Off, yeah, right. yeah, right. I, I had no friends, so I would walk around. I grew up in a basement in Milwaukee, and it wasn't... Right. We're in the lower level of your house. Oh, yeah, yeah, this, this is, is this a, a fake basement. basement. Yeah, you, you I have a view outside. of this beautiful hillside <laughs> here. Right. 
Um, you know, there's glass. Yeah, we, small, yeah, we have we small, have a little cinder small block window. cinder block windows. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, so back then you had to either suffer through the song and wait for it to end, and if it was like yes. It would take 15 minutes. I've seen all good people oh, tell you're not a yes man. So satisfied. Uh, but, but yeah, but here's the thing though. But uh, how did you just start discovering other music that was never played on the okay, radio? So this See, is how. This is what people now they don't understand. Yeah, that, that, wait, that, hold that, a second. How that, the that, fuck did you find, find music? Music not on the radio was a was a task, or it had to be handed to you from somebody who knew. So well, you had your was, agenda. So I'm just curious my, how you. Well, my, my older brother Scott one day said. I mean, he handed me a mixtape. Seven years older, you said this? Yeah, one? So, yeah. Okay. so the key thing. So yeah. uh, let's say I was 12, and he was already in college. Yeah. So he handed me a tape, um, like a, like probably a tape he made, a pause tape that he made off the, the radio. Pause tapes, yes. Um, and he said, you should listen to this. Can and we I, just, a pause tape is when you keep the tape paused until, you're, until the song until comes on, you want, song and you, you want. Yeah. yeah, okay. All right, I just want and to make sure. And then you, you depress the button, and yep. then it starts recording. Yeah. And um, he would have been listening to WMSE, which is the college station where Brian and I met. And um, and he was making tapes of different punk songs, and you know, I guess what we call back then new wave, or new wave, basically yeah. anything was new wave. Anything yeah. that yeah. wasn't right, right. anything was on the radio. <laughs> so it's new. It came in and a wave. So he, I remember, <laughs> like you know, there was on that tape would have been like Bauhaus, Cocteau Twins, The Smiths, wow. Love and Rockets, and so um, I immediately fell in love with a bunch of those bands. And most of all, Love and Rockets and the Smiths. I just loved both of those bands. I then um, probably borrowed tapes from him of both of those bands. And then I remember also, um, and so then I listened to those um, in my Walkman. And I would always borrow them. Now, I'm, now I was thinking. Now I sit here and think, why didn't I just go and buy the tape? Well, it's because I had no money. Yeah, yeah right. you're, you're <laughs> you a paper out. I had no money. You no. Could just borrow tapes or tape them off. Yeah, people. you remember paper all you're making what about five dollars every month, every week, if, every month. Yeah, and there'd always be some <laughs> asshole who owed you. Like <laughs> you your entire margin would be stuck in that one fucker <laughs> who, if he only paid you for the yeah. six weeks, you would be you would have like twelve dollars. <laughs> yeah, because that's all of your shit. that's all your profit. Yes, right. The runner. There's always the runner, dude. we're really busy right now. I would ride by that like a fucker's house like that, and 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 it would always be like the weird guy. You'd be like, like there's that Tom Waits song. What's he doing in there? <laughs> like the shades would be drawn. You'd never see the fucking garage open, you know. And that guy was probably well. I don't want to say wanna anything. Know. You don't, don't want to know. know what the we fuck probably know John yeah. Wayne Gacy. <laughs> Some weird shit. That's where they all come from. And, Milwaukee. So here so you are. So that really opened it up for me. And you spent a lot of time listening to MSC before you ever, as did I, before you ever ended up working there. All the time. Well, and yeah. it's not an easy place, by the way. We should be very clear. MSC is Milwaukee School of Engineering. Neither one of us went to school there. So <laughs> no. when you become obsessed with it, then you're like, how the fuck do I get to yeah. that? Because there was, I mean, you want to talk about pulling back a curtain and going, holy fuck. Because yeah. music, when people don't understand about college, college radio, especially back then, when you didn't, when you had limited access, unless you had a really cool record store where this guy was like, was bringing in stuff. When you, and you look at it now, it's like, no, he's got that's risky stock to bring in, right? But at a radio station, they're just giving it to you. They're giving you everything, and you can sit in another room and have stacks of music and just sit there for hours, and yeah. no one's asking you to leave, and you could just listen to it, and you're just the discovery going on in, through your fucking brain. So to get to that, that's that thing, right? Yeah. To, to, but it, you couldn't unless you had a way in. That was a thing. You knew what was on the other side. Yeah. But you wanted to get to it. So you started experiencing these bands. Yeah, and I started... Um, and then I think that I, when I went to high school, I met other people who 
I went to a big high school and I met other people who were also interested in music that wasn't on the radio. <clears throat> and then we started listening. You know, for us, we would listen to Faith No More, Violent Femmes, um, Love and Rockets, The Smiths. Like to us, it was all one thing. Right. Now, you know, now you people think of Faith No More as more of like a heavier band. Right. But to us, we listened to them all the time. And you'd go to a house party and you'd bring your own record or your own cassette and you'd turn off whatever the fuck they were playing <laughs> and you'd go and you'd turn it listen on. to some real <laughs> And you'd basically music. do it and you, you would assume like I can either beat up the person who has a problem with that. Or they're going to go, cool. Yeah, exactly. I mean, those were the two options you had. I never remember getting into a fight with anybody about turning off their shit. And I remember being like whatever year it was, a freshman in college or whatever, and going to a party in Milwaukee in a basement, which is what you did, and Nirvana, Tapper Nevermind was on. And I, I just remember it was all like these college dudes. And I remember thinking to myself, how in the fuck do these guys know about this band? But of course, we all know what happened. The minutes. next day, huh? yeah. heavy metal shut down. <laughs> exactly. And, and MTV. and MTV. I saw, when it first, I saw the video when it first came out because I was big into 120 minutes. And I remember right. it came out. But the guys at MSC knew about Nirvana before that because Correct. they were well, playing they um, uh, what's the club that's in the basement that is now the gone, Unicorn. The Unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they were like a, they were a prominent small band on yeah. sub pop yeah so i started to uh, you know i really um listened to music read books and taught myself guitar and i also had my my stepbrother um one of my stepbrothers played guitar and was also in, really into music and he let me play his guitar pretty frequently nice. i would say all the time maybe he wouldn't always know when i played it <laughs> and then i would also go and play his records he had a he had a big record collection and he had a nice stereo like he like went to um one of those places where you could rent to own, oh, and he got yes. like a, JV, a JVC stereo system. And they and still exist, right? Rent a center. Yeah, sure. they still exist. They do. It's crazy. Sure. Yeah. And so, um, so there was. I, I basically would get my music happening any way I could. Um, I had a little. I don't know. Somehow there was a little cassette player in our house. You know, like the yeah. actual thing with the handle. And um, I very at a very young age, I really got into music as a. Um, as a connection to like coping with life, right? It was a it was a real thing for me. It wasn't something I just enjoyed. It was something right. I needed. I would stay up late at night um, when I was in grade school and listen to the syndicated radio show Metal Shop, Metal Shop, which was out of L.A. Yeah, right. And I would listen. I wasn't allowed to listen that late. So what I would do is I would put my Walkman um, radio thing under my pillow, and then I would put like one earbud. Like you know, like that, and like like sleep. Like on you it. were laying down. Yeah, and sleeping. if they and if they happened to interview like Ozzy or something like that, that someone I really liked, I would be like just so fucking stoked. Yeah. Um, and I would go to White Hen. White um, Hen <laughs> on, Tuesday, on Tuesday mornings. I knew when Circus Magazine came out. Yes. And uh, there was one other one that I would buy, and I would go Rip. down there. Man, maybe yeah. And then um, I would ride my bike down there before my stepmom would drive us. To, to the, the bar. To the bar. <laughs> and like I think I had to be down there at like five fifteen. And sometimes I'd be there earlier than the magazine truck. And I'd have to wait until after school and I'd be like completely shattered all day. You know? And then that and then years later, that was in grade school. Then years later I would go to um a bookstore in downtown Milwaukee, Schwartz's, which is no longer there. Mm -hmm. And they would and I would buy NME and Melody Maker, the the British weekly news ma uh, music magazines. And then um that was when I was like in high school. And that, that really became the 
formation of my idea that I wanted to write about music. Mm-hmm. And that, so that, that, cause that's kind of like you do some radio, that's your experimental, like you just, this is a place that you can share with yeah, people, right? That's, that's right. kind of that's the concept exactly of radio. Yep. You go on there, it's, it's kind of the wild, wild west of what, what podcasting is now is what college radio was back then, minus the swearing, is that you basically go on there and you share your, Music, yeah, like they don't tell yeah. you what to play. You no, you're given your hour or whatever, and then it's like your like, show, and you make that yeah, show whatever and you're like. You can. This is what I love. I hope you love it, and you hope there's a shared experience out yeah, there. Yeah, that's right. Which, um, um, and we're gonna jump around all over the place in respects to this. But the way I met, actually, the first way I met Jeff was I actually replaced him at MSE, <laughs> and I can't remember you got in trouble or for something. I did. You got I, kicked yeah. out, and I took over. I got your show. fired for playing a song with an expletive in it. Ooh, and it was playing? by my my now friend. All these years later, Michael Ward was in a band called School of Fish, oh, and they yeah. had a, they had a great song called Three Strange Days. Yeah, on Capitol yeah. Records, yeah. Um, um, and. Produced by the same guy who produced m- m- the first three Smiths records. And um, the B side of the 12 inch, you know, we had like a fucking 12 inch of it. It was white, it was called Greatest Living Englishman. And it was about him. He was an English producer. And um, I thought it was, or maybe it was blue actually. It was blue. I thought it would be cool to play the, the B side, you know, because everybody played the A side, the single. And so I played it. And the guy who was our station GM was like a truck driver. And he would call in when I was on the air sometimes on Tuesday afternoons and just check in or whatever. And one time he called and he goes, hey, uh, about an hour ago, you played a song with a, with, that said fuck. And I said, no, man, I'm like looking through my playlist, you know, because you, you had to write down what you played. Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, okay, well, I heard it. And, you know, don't play that again. Oh, okay, cool. And, you know, to me, this guy was just some dick. He was right. like some guy. Probably, I just always envisioned him wearing like, cut off jean shorts and a muscle shirt. <laughs> right. I forgot his name just now. He probably was a really nice guy. Sure. But they, these were like older dudes who were probably doing it since the late 70s, um, which, by the way, was when Jimmy Carter was president and I was in kindergarten. Yeah. And for them, college radio was a totally different thing right. than what it was for us, right? right? Yeah. They were, we were know, part of something, which we'll and get they, to in a And second. they were yeah. like hobbyists. Like They were like, okay, I can either be into ham radio CB radio, or I'll go to this college radio station, right? and they all knew how to solder. Like you knew that, <laughs> like there was no doubt, right? So I went out on my way, and I played the song probably half a dozen more times. I had no idea that it swore. In like one, like in the, in the in the chorus in the outro, he says the greatest fucking Englishman. I never even heard it. And so one day he calls me, and he goes, "You're fired." That's the song. He made it to a payphone in time while the song was playing and he goes that's the song you're fired and I was fired and I can't remember were you <laughs> were you a daytimer or, yeah, or yeah. the third shift it was, one it was, I was on from noon to 2.30 oh right, that's I, a sweet shift on Tuesday well, you yeah. know what my shift was 3 a.m. No, I, I was mid, I was midnight to th- midnight to three. Your Venus flytrap. And then they called me after they fired Jeff, and they were like, "Listen, we need somebody to fill because they, you know, you can put in a request. Like, yeah. if, if another shift ever comes open, yeah. you want it." And I was like, "Yeah." And I remember going in, they're like, "Oh, and God, we got rid of that guy. It was a rebel rouser." They would talk about how you guys would be trying to break in. Remember, there was the window right there. Yeah, you I see a girl in there once. They, all the stories they were just, and all of a sudden it came but up. I, By the way, he had a huge ponytail. I just want to be very clear. But also, yes. but also, I was bringing because I was a music journalist. <laughs> at that time um That's i also had like tail. no i just <laughs> I, but I would bring in like billy corgan eddie vetter you know brian ritchie from the violent femmes for interviews and so and and you had to have the station was located in a dorm 
So you had to go through security yes. to get in yeah, there. It was, uh, and and like a lot of musicians, like they'd show up and you'd be so stoked that like teenage fan club was coming in to do a fucking interview with you. Right. Um, and like these guys are like, you know, probably on six different drugs. They're from Scotland. They don't fucking <laughs> have yeah. showered in a week. They don't have IDs. And they don't have an ID, yeah. man. Yeah. They don't have an ID. And they're not letting right. them in unless you take them through that's the window. Correct. That's correct. That's right. So yes, I had a bad rap for, for all that, but but I would go like, fuck you. Yeah. I'm bringing in a teenage fan club and they're on SNL like yeah. three days from now. Like, isn't that good for us? But that's yeah. not what they cared about. That's not what they by cared about. By the way, about. the place was run by a dude named Bob Betts. Who was the voice of the Milwaukee Brewers yes. forever? Oh, and he wow. was a chain smoke, an old yes. chain smoke, an old man. And by the time he and I had gotten there, Bob was like on his last leg. I mean, he would just He'd nap be sleeping all day long at his desk, just, sitting up. Yeah, he and he was a nice guy for the most part. Sure he but wasn't he was meditating. Old, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, he was definitely. Yeah, I checked. A, I checked. Now, now batting. <laughs> Paul, that, that's what he Molitor. was. He was the in. He was the in stadium yeah, announcer. Was, uh, oh, that's voice. awesome! But yeah, I mean, just, you know, so that, that part of it was kind of cool. But he was just checked out, yeah. man. It was like unless he, he didn't care. He was one of those guys. Like he was like dad. Music's too loud. He would come in. Music's too loud, and we just go back into his thing. He was not one of the guys going to hang out and chat with you until you're doing a great job. None of that shit was going on. Yeah. But anyway, so it's like, I guess the reason why I bring this up, but it, is because when we look back on it now, that was the beginning of how important Milwaukee... And I do believe this. I believe the Milwaukee music scene was a, a critical part of the early 90s music ecosystem that was taking place yeah. in the United States of America. And and you can attest to that now because obviously, you know, no secrets, you've worked your way all the way up to Electra, which we'll get to in a little bit. But but would you agree that there was definitely something going on? Because Milwaukee, it turns out, and you didn't find this out until you would go to a place like WMSE, Milwaukee was important on the road to touring. Yeah. Milwaukee yeah. Was, was crucial to these bands that were about to become massive. Mm. Yeah. It was an important market to them. Well, yeah. First of all, it was um, it was between Minneapolis and Chicago, just in terms of routing yeah. on the road. And if you're in a, if you're in a, in a van on tour... You can hit um, all... Like, those are three big cities. You yeah, can, that's correct. And in a van... And if you can do small, like, lacrosse and, like, correct. little towns in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was also, like... Um, Madison is a weird market because it's transient. There's all these students there. It's hard to cut through. There's everybody's got flyers up about, you know, uh, you know, eating hemp and fucking labor rallies and shit like that. It's it's a it's a different different, scene. It's totally different. And Milwaukee's a you know major market with a million people there. There's real radio. There's real press. And there was an underground. There was an angry, shitty underground like just like you had in Boston, Chicago, L.A., whatever. Right. So that was Madison. Had a punk underground, but it wasn't quite the same. No. And so it was more of an intellectual underground. But the they didn't... daddy's paying for that revolution. Yeah. And yeah. There, there were great bands from Madison, but you know, Milwaukee had punk clubs. And so if you're in a van and you're driving from Minneapolis, Chicago's like fucking eight hours away, seven and a half hours away. Milwaukee's five and a half, six hours away. That's a big deal. That's that's a much more gettable distance. <clears throat> and and um and also, you could make great strides in Milwaukee. You could yeah. come back. People were so hungry for it. They there. would, they would, they would come back to see you again. Correct. It was yeah. a good gauge for them. They and I think it was good for comedy too. I think Milwaukee's always been a good yeah. market for comedy yeah. as well. It's not as much now, but it did. It, but back, back then, then, back then, yes. I, yeah. I remember reading about that. Yeah. And yeah. you know, there was there was a real Milwaukee is for all the jokes people make about Milwaukee, and they're all well deserved. It's a pretty great market, yeah. even to this day. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm one of the ones that makes jokes about yeah. it, but I, 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 I'm proud to be from Wisconsin and have lived in, in the Milwaukee area. And we're I mean, look, well. there's a reason that um, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Albany, you think about all these markets, um, a bunch of places in Connecticut, why are they so important? 
because they're not far from New York City and they're right. not far from Boston. Yeah. And they're between New York and Chicago, right? There's, you know, I always tell people, you know, there's a reason that everybody fucking has to play Omaha, right? Everybody has to play Denver because it's, be- and Salt Lake City. Right. Why does anybody play Salt Lake City? <laughs> it's because it's in between like Denver and the West Coast and yeah. the Pacific Northwest. That's why everybody plays Salt Lake City or Reno. Yeah, sometimes you switch it up. Yeah. So Milwaukee, um, and then it turns out Milwaukee was not half bad. And there were great bands in Milwaukee, like the Violent Femmes and Decroitzen. Um, you know, Decroitzen had such an influence on our whole generation of music, which you can see in the Smart Studios documentary. Yeah. Um, that th- there were cool bands in Milwaukee that shared something with Sonic Youth, with Soundgarden, with Tab. You know, with eventually with Nirvana. And I think people recognize that when they go to a certain town and dudes show up at their shows who, um, by the way, you remember who had the show after us on WMSC was the Dead Alewives. And think about all the right. people who came out of that scene. They're the ones that uh, I believe created Monster House, a couple of guys on there, that, yeah. that, that, that movie Monster House. And, oh, wow. Um, what's his name? He doesn't, isn't the guy, or maybe, maybe he came from comedy sports. They, they were all uh, part Dan of Dan Harmon. Dan Harmon was part of that. He was part of Dead Alewives. Yeah, and okay. and those guys. But that's community, right? That he yeah. did community. Yeah, and yeah. and, and um, those guys. Yeah, I didn't talk to him much. Not not for no, no other reason that you know yeah. you kind of get he in. He lives get around out. here. I see him Does around. He? I oh, see him okay. at the Village Bakery. Oh, okay. Sundays at ten a.m. <laughs> Usually between ten and eleven. You want to stalk Dan and Harmon, he loves, everybody? And he loves to be fucking be bothered while he's eating. Um, <laughs> as Jeff found out. No, I I've never spoken. Oh, you've watched. You watched him get bothered. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, of course. Because after the documentary came out about him, now everybody knows what he looks like even oh, more. Okay. But yeah, 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 those guys were like a, they, they were like a comedy troupe, and they were they performed at comedy sports. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, so right, right, um, right, right. yeah, Milwaukee is like a fucking weird place where but, a lot of people are from. But yeah. why writing? And how did you end up getting into band management? Because um, I, why writing is because I felt like um, when I was listening to music, um, either in this basement place or when i was riding my bike those became the two places where i listened to music i no longer listen to music while i'm riding because it's incredibly unsafe i only listened to music back then when i rode without a helmet right <laughs> in, in, in in the dark right, right exactly because we had we didn't know any better back then and i don't think helmets existed back then no. i don't think people race if i saw somebody the riding the their way. bike with a helmet when i was like, what it's a bike dude settle yeah, exactly down. exactly like, yeah yeah but oh I, somebody's I, got parents that are way over the psychos. top I, I think it's the same reason why you guys do comedy in front of other people. You just have this this um, this urge to, to share, to, to share, to do your thing. It's this burning desire inside of you. And my thing was, I was more or less mortified of like I played guitar and and I um I think I'm pretty decent if I'm in practice, but I never had the guts to actually do that. And so I thought, okay, I can write about music. And I and I became an intern at Milwaukee Magazine, which is your typical city magazine that you know there's one in every city and then um started writing about um i reviewed the violent femmes album why do birds sing which i think came out in 1990 surprisingly great album mm-hmm. and their new their latest album which came out a few months ago surprisingly great album um and then uh one of the guys who was a freelancer for the magazine said hey this newspaper i freelance for called downtown edition needs their, they want to do a music section and they have no idea what they're doing you should go and talk to them and I thought, I can fucking do that. I was 18.5 years old. <laughs> and I think I got paid like $50 a week at first to fill four pages. Whoa. So I had to do like concert listings, um, concert previews, album reviews, and then f- a feature. Or maybe that's just what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I was really just copying the NME. 
I had four pages. I kind of did a little bit of everything. And it turns out that right at that time, all this music that we'd all been listening to um, as like, you know, the other kind of people in high school, the people that didn't listen to like um, R&B music, you know, and uh, didn't listen to Hot 102 or 93QFM or Laser 103. What we call we call the jammer music. Yeah. Right. To people who didn't willingly wear Zubas. Yeah. uh, you know, we uh, suddenly this music was starting to pick up a little bit of steam, and um, I became a guy that was calling publicists at record companies to interview um, a band when they were putting on an album or coming to town, which probably was shocking to them because there was really no one in Milwaukee doing that. Well, no, but there also wasn't necessarily a big market for them here, too, which they were probably surprised by. Because, you know, I mean, a lot of that, you're only on their radar if the A&R guys are, are in tight, you know, doing their job in True. that market and knowing that this is going to be a big market for them. So True. they're probably surprised sometimes when they're not really a big radio play band and right. you're contacting them and saying, I still give a shit. Yeah, they were. They, they, people were really shocked and I developed very quickly a rapport with a bunch of publicists, some of whom are still... Um, my my friends and some of whom have worked for bands over the years that I've ended up managing, which is really amazing. And um, by the way, my story is the same as so many other people's from around the country and around the world. A lot of my friends who are managers or you know big executives at labels started out doing a whole bunch of other shit. You got to love the music and you got to want to live. Are you were you a big live music guy? Like I think there's yeah. everybody yeah, has seen this. the Grateful Dead twenty eight. <laughs> no 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 not, no no. I'm sorry, not at that at that. I'm talking about like the not the major venues, not only going to the major concerts that came to town. But oh yeah, your, but I mean, were you a club guy? Where you where you would go and experience? Was that was that a big part of your growing up? I mean, it wasn't massive in the sense that I guess most of the concerts I went to were bigger. Like Iron Maiden was big, Pink Floyd was bigger. You know what I mean? Those shows were big shows but then that's how i found bands like fish though i went and saw them at the at the vic or the aragon ballroom or whatever in chicago mm-hmm. you know what i mean and i saw a couple of metal bands that way and and i've seen widespread panic like that but but and and i think i see shows in smaller clubs now, now than, I, yeah. than i used to yeah i'm, I'm impressed to. with the fact you're still willing to go i don't know how often you still go see live music in small venues unless you really really have to but it's like and i guess part of that is like been there done that and i feel yeah. bad and i or you know whatever the case i like may to be. sleep but again <laughs> I like you know to sleep too though so to kind of just again jump around where you and I, I think, reconnected afterwards was, I think I eventually, I can't remember what happened. I don't remember how I ended up working at radio or whatever, but we started crossing paths because you started managing bands, and I would start seeing you. I liked going out and seeing live music in, in small venues, and you obviously were out seeing live bands, lot, and you yeah. were identifiable because of your big ponytail. Yes. Uh, easy to find within the crowd. <laughs> Jeff, here's the thing. I can say whatever I want. We know each other a long time, and I, li- I lived in his kitchen, so I can say whatever I want. <laughs> He actually um, did. He, he, real life he Jeff was a situation. pretty flamboyant fella. Like I'm, I didn't. I wore pretty like normal clothes. Like I, as we all joke now. People get flamboyant. my name wrong. Are we talking it. Elton John? No, no, no. no. Like but Liberace like he was, you know, coats? like some people when they dress, they dress just a little bit different than everybody else, so you can identify them. I was, I, I fit right in the. The stream, like you I blended. I was, I was. A, no one, no one can remember my fucking name if I've been with them for like four years. People forget my Coach name. That's Mike, how, that's, that's how generic true. I am. So, but you know, I mean, so I, I would see you around, and the, and for me, my memory was that the, the first big band that you were affiliated with, which was huge in Milwaukee, was, um, of course, now they're gonna, um, Wild Kingdom. Yeah. Right. Was that was that the first when you yeah. first dabbled in? Yeah, they asked me. To I'm manage going them. to manage a band. Yeah. Oh, so they asked you. You did not actively seek them out. How did that? No, all I play met out? Dave Cooley, who's one of your neighbors Somewhere here near, in yeah. L.A. Now, um, I met Dave Cooley at an in store at Atomic Records, and he 
more or less asked me if I'd be interested in, in talking with him and his band about managing them. And it had been an idea in my head that I wanted to get into management because I, had, I identified that managers sort of were responsible for everything in the band's life. And um, It's like being a part of the band without being in the band yeah, in, in many ways. Yeah, and being a, a radio DJ or a journalist, or I was also promoting shows at Marquette University right. where I went to school for a year, um, I recognized that if there was a problem or something wasn't getting done, if I called the management office they would fix it. And I thought, oh, I, I could actually, that, that's what I want to do. I don't, I don't want to just be a journalist writing about music. I want to actually be involved with the artist. I think that would be really cool. And um, I just had these thoughts, and then all of a sudden I met this guy who managed like the biggest local band, and he asked me to come down. And I thought they were going to beat me up because I had... Were you giving I, a bad review? I, yeah, I gave him a bad review. <laughs> and I thought the whole time I was going there, I thought, they're going to kick the shit out of me. We just want to meet you in this alley to talk about managing yeah. us. Come down this dark alley. Yeah, just and, it's, and it turned out that that wasn't the case. They actually thought that what I'd said about them was like, you know, um, that it was like, you know, true or... Fairly accurate. Or, or fairly accurate, or they or felt they like... they felt that too. Yeah, all of that, right? Yeah. And so they, they were like, oh yeah, you know, and now I realize like, you know, John Landau, who managed has managed Bruce Springsteen forever, was a journalist and had, you know, I don't think he ever gave Bruce a bad review, but I recognize now that what I do as a manager is you're, you're more or less a storyteller mm-hmm. and you have to get people to believe in your client, whether it's a band or a producer or what have you. You're really telling people stories and asking them to, to step in. And Spe- speaking of the story of Wild Kingdom... Um, and we've kind of talked about this before. I mean, they, I don't know if you probably never heard of them. because They don't sound familiar well, to me. Well, and here's, but here's why. They they would have been on the verge, and Jeff and I have talked about this a million. They eventually turned into something else that we'll talk about in a second, but they were on the verge. Yeah, and, they were. And they, they were bubbling up of, of what was about to change in the music business. And I truly believe, even if it would have just been one album, that it would have been something amazing to have seen. But it just... So, something was wrong, right? There's that's the that's the dangerous part of managing bands, right? Sometimes you discover like yeah. it's too implosive, and it's just like no matter how hard you try, sometimes this creative talent just cannot stay together, right? Yeah, they the, the bottom line with them is that for whatever reason they didn't record enough. They never they they were a live band and they never put out a record, and they never even put out a single. They never put out anything, and they drew hundreds, you know, many hundreds of people, thousands of people in their biggest markets, and then there was nothing to sustain that. So in Chicago, they would draw 1,000 people one time and 400 people another. There was no rhyme or reason to it. But they had no recorded music to promote them. So it was a weird thing. They they really lived on reputation. Yeah. And so um, the whole point of them morphing, breaking up, and really the singer leaving and them finding a new singer and... um, becoming the, their next iteration called Citizen King. Which, I was just going to ask if we were talking about Citizen King. Yeah. That's so really Wild funny. Wild Kingdom was... Did you not band. know any of this? <clears throat> I didn't know. You were guessing it? So, oh, well, because Citizen King is probably a bigger name to come out of Milwaukee yes. from when I was in college. Yeah, right. And I had a lot of friends from Milwaukee that okay. I, we used to uh, get weed together, whatever. But yeah, like, great. <clears throat> yeah, I would drive down every great. weekend with these guys and like, I would just drink 12 packs in the car and by the time I got down, they'd be blacked out and we'd go to like Axel's and... McBob's tacos and everything. Yeah, Axel's. That's right, uh, right across the street from where I got hired. Nice uh, at the Subway Subs. So yeah, so, Citizen. So it turns into Citizen King. And, and the key thing about Citizen King was that they wanted to be based around songs, and of course they wanted to be a great live band, which like, they were. But but the first thing they did is they wrote songs, mm-hmm. and Dave 
emerged as the real leader of that band. And then eventually he and the singer they found, Matt Sims, um, became the co-leaders by way of being the songwriters. And they were a fierce live band. I mean, they were phenomenal. And that band, um, we were able to get them out of that damn city um, in more ways than one. Um, Which was interesting because, uh, real quick, sorry to interrupt, but um, the difference... And this is this is the amazing part of the struggle. And it was that Wild Kingdom was so amazingly popular. They yeah. could they they when people found out Wild Kingdom was playing in Milwaukee, it mattered. Yeah. And now you've got this this new band, mm-hmm. and that new band for a while struggled. And I oh, remember yeah. dealing with the identity crisis. Yes. And I think some of it was the backlash of like, oh, yeah. what the fuck happened? What did you do to Wild Kingdom? How dare you? Exactly. And it was just You're great to have s- a little bit of that though. Yeah, right? but I they mean, struggled. But see, I was working with another band called the Guffs at the time, and those guys were like, it didn't matter what those guys did. They were kind of like a uh, the, what would be, I guess, the modern Bodie. Right, they just Correct. replaced the Bodines, and I, I kind of felt like Citizen King had replaced what the Violent Femmes were going through in Milwaukee, which was a there was a there was a slight lack of respect for what they were bringing to the market. Because if you remember, at that time, the Violent Femmes still had their middle finger up. You know, it was just starting yeah. to come back around, and yeah. we had to work on getting them back into the city. Yeah, that there are some bands for whatever reason have to fight through, even no matter how talented they are, what they're bringing to the market. They had to fight their way through, and yeah. I, you would agree that Citizen King struggled for. Oh a while yeah, with people that. didn't get it, and it was and 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 they it took them a while to get their stride as a live band. But the first thing we did is we recorded songs and we made a tape, and so at the first show there was music to sell, mm-hmm. which was a completely different thing from Wild Kingdom where it was only T-shirts. Yeah, and um and because it was song based, um, we were able to scale a business around that, and it got, you know, even before they got a big record deal we were constantly adding cities to our touring and blah, blah, blah. And um, it was really painful sometimes. You know, you'd, I'd fucking call clubs um, in Rock Island, Illinois, and Rockford, and Springfield, you know, trying to yeah. add another market. It's the same thing you do in comedy, I guess. And people wouldn't call back, or they'd finally call back, and you'd, they'd offer you 250 bucks. For a whole band? For a whole band. That's <laughs> Jesus, the way it was. Come on. But yeah. you have to understand, what they were, the music they were doing, right? And you know it now, because you've obviously heard it. It was, a li- it was different. Yeah, and so you have to struggle with that as well. That it wasn't a traditional, easy to grasp rock band or whatever. And obviously, once they came there and you saw what they were, what they were delivering, and you saw how people were reacting to the band, then mm-hmm. it was different. But it is hard trying to get somebody over the phone to get it. Yeah, when yeah. they're used to something else. Yeah, and then eventually we we worked on that for a bunch of years, putting out uh, a, I don't know, and a couple of EPs, an album. Yeah. We ended up doing pretty darn well. And then they wrote the songs that were able to get us like a, a record deal, and then and then that all got pretty good. And uh, I remember those days; those were those were quite interesting days. I mean, it, the whole the whole concept of being in a struggling band, right, and yeah. just trying to get respect. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you get Warner Brothers on the line along with a lot of their major record labels, and now all of a sudden, you've got guys taking this Milwaukee band, flying them coast to coast, doing showcases, bidding on them, mm-hmm. whining and dining the band. Because at this time, I was tour managing or helping Jeff, yeah. you know, you know, get them place to place, and that was it. Was quite interesting to see that, and I, and I think for both of us, that was the first time that, that real that was the real deal, right? I yeah. mean, I'm assuming you hadn't really experienced it before Hell that no. at that level right. of like. How much of the plane? You know, we're gonna fly you guys out to L.A. and you're gonna do this, and we're gonna go here, and you're gonna play a show, and all. And we're gonna fly out to New York, and you do this. You're gonna go to Chicago, do this. And like it was just all expenses paid wherever you wanted. Matt shit his pants. I'm just gonna get over that part. You know, he's wearing yes. white pants. 
Yes. Uh, but you know, I mean, it was just you know, it was it was an interesting ride. It was an interesting experience to go. Wow, this is how the business could be. Mm-hmm. But it, it's almost kind of like the way politicians court to try to be president. Though you got to be careful because there's so much work that happens afterwards. Yeah. That's when the reality yeah. of the music business sets in, and yeah. that's where the real manager has to be on his A game. And that's kind of where I realized where I was never going to be a manager because you you got that part of the game. Well, I I, I mean that band was successful in a couple of ways. Um, but not successful in the most important ways. I mean, the song got on the radio, but didn't the album top forty hit did not sell. But there's reasons for that. Though. Yeah, I mean, you can look back and go, all right, if this had happened, I mean, I think it came on at the same time as um, Fly, right? Yeah, so, and Smash Mouth. I think Mouth. we are selling records for the, for uh, for other bands. Yeah, and but those bands were were you have to there's a whatever it takes mentality that your lead singer the band all has yeah. to have, and I yeah. think sometimes that can also be overwhelming yeah. for creative types, and they don't really know how to deal with it, and some just don't deal with it yeah. well too. And so and I'm not putting all the blame on that, but I'm just saying having been there that part of that is if you don't if you're not willing to just put yourself out there, yeah, and roll with it, yeah, you could hold yourself back. Yeah, and really what that band was for me was it was a giant lesson. Um, it, 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 there was everything about that band was a first for me. And it really got me out here and it got me um, to sign other people. Yeah. I mean, when I started managing them, nobody would have ever wanted me to manage them because I was nobody. Right. And then I moved here and I was still nobody, but I at least I developed relationships with lawyers and labels and other people. And so I started getting asked to manage other people and then that, um, and then I started managing other people and had um, a decent time with it. I managed some really great artists, and I recognized that labels sucked. And labels were supposed to be this, this, you know, this partner that helped you to build your business. And a lot of the time, they were only focusing on what was already working. And they were not really helping the, the bottom and the middle of their rosters. Which part of that you were able to thankfully learn by the failures of what happened with the Guffs and Atlantic Records and how that's cool. that's you, true. you how you can knock on their door every day after they told you that you're going to be the next Led Zeppelin and they don't they yeah. don't answer the door. That's correct. And you're just and you, there's no explanation why they don't have to explain why. They can just yeah. move on from you, you know. And then so you at least you had a point of reference having seen something yeah. side by side with some of the Citizen King's success. Yeah. And now, you know, knowing that you're such an absorber and such a uh, such a fact freak, you're able to be able to hoard a lot of that information and use that to your advantage moving yeah. forward. And there were great people at Warner Brothers Records, the label they were on. Like again, I'm friends with so many of those people to this day. And so you learn process and you learn how shit works, yeah. why it works. You learn, you know, why big companies have protocols. You learn that you have to be nice to people because when you need that invoice paid to cover your Amex bill, you know, if you're nice to the assistant in the accounting department, that person has the ability to get that shit done quick right. <laughs> or to just tiptoe along and not yeah, deal and with you. Yeah, and then bury it under the bottom of another pile of That's papers right. and be like, whatever. Yeah, so, the, and, you know, just, it became, that, that band became a boot camp for all of us and, um, I ended up um, a number of years, I guess two or three years later, starting a record company called Danger Bird. And while I was managing, and I started a label because I was sick of dealing with labels. And I thought, um, really, my wife said, well, you know, if you think you could do a better job, why don't you start your own label? And um, I'll skip all the details and just say, I did it. I met a guy, <laughs> I met a, I met a guy who was an artist, and he was interested in starting a label. And he had some bread to do it, and we did it, and we ended up signing bands um, that we loved. Some of 
two principally two of them other people loved silver sun pickups and fits in the tantrums nice and we did um you know we did a great job on those bands i think we did a great job on all of our bands but they weren't all successful commercially because that's just the way shit goes that's how it always is going to work but the, but, yeah. but um you had a different um ideology than a major record label as to how you were going to develop that stuff yeah i think we we really approached it like I have no idea why your computer's ringing. I don't know either, and every this happens every week, and I still know how to shut the fucking thing um, down. I so we we went about it like, like, um, basically, like what I went about it as a manager, putting out other artists who I didn't manage. The, the industry had changed as well, right? There, there, the, the rules before were like you either were you either worked for a record label or you were a manager, but True. those worlds have kind of. True. Blurred now. Correct. We were very early on that idea. So you yes. were representing the bands that you were also, um, so, in I, I, some sorry, cases, sorry, managing their careers while you were also in representing some cases. them as a label. You could do that. In some that cases, those, those rules of the game had changed. Correct? I mean, in some cases we were, but we were definitely going about it like we were spending money in the way a manager would want money spent. I guess to that's build what I was an gonna, So that's what I was going to say was so that was kind of the platform that you helped create, which was that taking that manager understanding yes. of career development yes. and putting that into how record labels should be run in the future. It wasn't your traditional like here's a million dollars. Um, you can do whatever you want with it. We better, we better get a great album, but we're going to get all this money back. You're barely going to get any of it when we sell. Like you know, what I mean, you kind of changed how a band worked with the record label. Yeah, we tried. That's to, what Danger Bird was. We tried to focus on the things that we thought mattered. Big record companies, for better or for worse, have always been about one thing, which is a giant hit, and everything else falls way below all of that. Right. And you can't knock them for that. No, TV companies and movie companies look at the same thing. Hootie, Hootie and the Blowfish paid for that, a lot that, of records. That's right. Other records made, and they out. don't care whether it's the shittiest band that happened to just break by accident, um, and the cool band that they thought was going to change culture goes on the shelf. So we uh, we just did what we did, and and we weren't the biggest, and we weren't the best. There's a lot of other people who started after us who've done really well, who are still in business, and um, they've. I'd like to think that we contributed to the whole situation. I don't really know who was looking and who was paying attention, but I feel like we really did it. We took a, um, a band in Silver Sun Pickups from a neighborhood where a lot of bands had come from, mostly arty people, other than Beck. And got them on the radio, and you know they're now a cornerstone for a decade of the alternative rock format. And they're from this neighborhood, and they rehearse literally two minutes from here. Um, you know they're part of a community. When we started the label, I was I was sure that I didn't see an L, a local LA label. There just wasn't one. Slash Records, where the Violent Fams and the <clears throat> Los Lobos and Soul Coughing and Faith No More had come from. They had sold to Warner Brothers long ago. They were no longer an L.A. label. They, they didn't exist anymore. Triple X, which is where Jane's Addiction put out their first record, I wasn't aware that they were around anymore either. So I didn't really feel that there was an L.A. label like that people could identify with. Mm -hmm. and I really wanted to be that. And um, I think we succeeded in that. And we employed a lot of people over the years. I mean, I got to tell you, some of the people who work for us... Um, are doing like really cool shit now. I mean, this kid Dash, who was our like mailroom guy, is the drummer in the band Haim. <laughs> um, his brother was in one of our played bass in one of our bands. Great people. Um, a kid that started as our intern, and then we gave him a job doing marketing. He works with this artist Andra Day, who's breaking right now. He's her one of her managers. Um, 
Matt, who is our GM now, is one of the guys that runs the Bob Marley estate. You know Matt. I mean, we, he's one of my best friends. He, he started out as my assistant. He worked his way up to being our GM. You know, mm-hmm. At a point in time, we, we went from him and I sitting in an office, and we were the entire company, to having damn near 20 employees. And so that's something I'm really proud of as well, that we really, um, we really worked hard, and people grew up in this company. It was only around for eight years, really, with, with me working there. And um, I then got offered to run Electra Records, and I didn't so want to do it. stop there for one second, because yeah. you're just kind of like glossing over yeah, that. Yeah, I, I did. Yeah. I just did that. <laughs> just and randomly, then I got... It's just like a guy, like, like I randomly get asked for change outside the Shell station. You're like, hey, you want to run Electra? Yeah, yeah, sounds right. Huh? Okay. Well, one of the things I want to ask you before we get to Electra, though, is like, I kind of feel like, I don't know where you stand on this, like, I feel like... I'm aging out. Like I can't identify good music anymore. Like, and I only say this because obviously I have kids, right? Mm-hmm. And with kids, you know, they'll be listening to something, and I'll be like, "Oh, what are you listening to, or what do you like?" And I'll listen to it. And I c- I couldn't tell you, man. I can't mm-hmm. tell you anymore what. That is a difference, I, though. With the kids, you're exposed to a lot more horseshit. Like you're exposed to more garbage music because you have young children. Than I would be exposed for, like when my. I, could you? Do you think you could still identify decent music at this point? I know what I think sounds good, and okay. I and I definitely know when I hear something, I'm like, okay, you know, like the first time I heard, a, like a Black Keys riff, I was like, I, I kind of like that, you know what I mean? So I I followed up on that, and I got really into the band. You know, there was like I never listened to the White Stripes, and then I was in somebody's car, and I heard a a riff on something, and I was like, dude, what is this? He's like, that's Jack White. I go, this is really good, and then I started kind of listening to a little more of that. You know, I don't go super crazy anymore and like have to own every album by everybody but i definitely when i hear something that i'm like i like that riff or i like the way that's sung or i like that lyric and even if it's like something that would be not so fucking popular you know what i mean it's like i also like disturbed's cover of uh uh the sound of silence no with the genesis song um uh oh my god uh these are the, the point is, you like a given. cover song. Yeah, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, <laughs> a land of confusion, land of confusion, oh. land of confusion. Oh. Um, but 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 if I like it, I like it. I mean, I know what I like, and there is some music that I can I can go. Yeah, I like this. I know it's not good. I know it's cheesy. I know it's, but I I'll listen to it. You know. But how does one? Yeah, I mean, so I I, I guess taking that that and then going into how do you know? I mean, listen, people are submitting you music. It's mm-hmm. raw. It's rough. Or you mm-hmm. have to go see it live. How are you able to continue as you, you know, you have your point of reference, mm-hmm. you know, you've, you've lived at least one lifetime and you, you know, now it's like, you know, you're in your forties. How do you maintain as you get older a pulse or do you have to rely on other people at some point? I mean, I just work on, <clears throat> first of all, you work, you work on things that come into your field of vision. That's the first thing. Um, so you get offered things as a manager or a label, um, or you have people who are searching out music, which is sort of a different topic. And I work with stuff that I that I that moves me. That's just again for better or for worse. That may or may not be the smartest thing. I won't work on shit that I don't love. So somebody can come in, it's a hit song for sure. And if you're not feeling it, but you're like, I don't like this artist. I don't like the way yeah, they sing. I don't yeah. like this riff. And it might be a hit song to everybody else, but yeah. I think it's. And I've like never shit. had a huge conflict around that. I just, you know, I find stuff gravitates toward me in life, and I I fall in love with it, and I I jump on it. I mean, I said no to Fitz in the Tantrums for a year. Oh, and really? Then, and then I met Fitz. Okay. And then and then we got into a conversation. And he came over to my office a half an hour later and played me the song Money Grabber, which no one had ever heard. 
and we uh, we offered him a deal shortly thereafter. So like that's a prime example of like I what I heard initially on their on their debut EP was something that I thought was retro, and I wasn't interested in retro. Like I turned off to it, and um, I would say that most of the best things in my career have been things that I've said no to, and then come back around on. Okay. So I'm an idiot. Interesting. <laughs> well, well, at least you're not pretending to be a genius. No, That's God the one no, thing. If we, we learned very early on, we were just a couple of young punks trying to get things accomplished in yeah. the music business, yeah. how we could go into one office and hear them slamming oh. on, on a guy that works at one of these major record labels. Sure. He's right out the door. This guy's like, all he ever knows is 90s hair bands. And then 10 seconds later, he stumbles upon another band. Yeah. And they're and like, this guy's a genius. Right. Let's get him his own record label immediately. He always knew what he was doing. Like, there's yeah. no... But when you nobody's perfect, I but, guess I'm saying. And by, by losing that part of the ego, where you're like, I already said no by like dropping that and going, oh, you know what though, I do like this song, or I do like the way this album's yeah. coming along. You open yourself up to being able to then take on managing those bands or you putting them on a label yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know? So so you have to you have to buy in. Yeah. And sometimes you find yourself in a situation in a room or with an artist you never thought you'd ever be talking to, and you realize, oh, you know, there's a, there's a business here. Like with management, I want to manage businesses. I don't, I'm too old to go out to clubs at 11 at night. I, right. I like sleep. I get up early in the morning. <laughs> like, I don't, that's just not my thing anymore. I just, I've done, I've developed. John and I have a show at midnight tonight. You want to come? No? Okay. Yeah. I probably would. I need to <laughs> laugh more. But, but I, you know, yeah, that's just where it's at. And there are, so, I know some people who are in their early 60s who are still out hounding bands at, at, in clubs and all that shit. I just don't care anymore. Yeah, that's just not your thing. Not my thing. Yeah. So so you go... So here, Here's the, the part where I was just blown away because I've always, obviously, you know, not only being your friend, but a big supporter of how, how into how into you are, um, you know, uh, of music. When, I, when, when you finally told me that you were, you know, that this Electra thing was going down, that's like pretty crazy. Like, right? I mean, when you look back on your life and you know where you started and that, again, you're just this young punk trying to get electric records to pay attention to the bands that you have and you're talking mm-hmm. to these people and right. you're putting them way way up on top of this mountain this almost borderline unobtainable mountain and mm-hmm. here you are that same guy now about to take that throne like mm-hmm. what was that what was going on well like, i didn't want to do it and i i um which is weird right because you look I at was, that arc look well, at the, no because you started your label because you were you hated big labels yeah. and everybody you dealt with at a big label was yeah. a turd so you were like I don't want to why would I uh, want to be a turd well I I also was at a point where I was very disillusioned with the record business because um in 2010 or 11 you know the CD business started to really fall off um for us at Dangerbird um when you when you own a label uh in that era you're really your business is really run on the wholesale transaction from distributor to retailers, and there's a there's a whole matrix of bullshit in there that I don't want to get into. But you're essentially like, for some period of time, whether your records are selling to the end consumer is not really important. Because if you can ship a hundred thousand records to retail and you get paid on those records, that's pretty good. Of course, they have to keep selling in the stores, otherwise they send them back to the distributor and you, you have to give the money back. Right. Or your distributor you know, has to pay the money back and then you're fucked. Um, so what was happening is that we started Danger Bird and we did really well, but it was really the tail end of the CD era, right? And we, we knew streaming was coming. But to be honest, our business advisor who worked with us at, at Danger Bird was telling us, could you imagine a time? We had this 
in this uh, company sort of like retreat where we where he walked through all kinds of shit with us over a weekend and we did all kinds of team building <clears throat> exercises. Did you fall in anybody's arms? Uh, we I think we did that. Yes. Yeah, I do trust falls. Trust falls. And so he said one day he said, "How would you guys feel if um all music was free um through streaming? Like where would you make your money?" And I remember it's a crazy the, question the entire, to ask, right? The entire room went fucking silent. And I, and I felt like a complete rock in my gut, you know, like a sinking feeling. And, um, you know, we were already signing artists to what are called 360 deals where we have a piece of touring and publishing and merchandising. But we, um, but none of our artists were like doing that great at touring where we were making that much money off of it. And Silver Sun Pickups was not one of those artists because we signed them so far back. They were just on a record deal. So his point was, how would you feel if everything was streamed? Because we already knew that people were listening to music on YouTube, and basically you're not getting paid on that. And we are mortified. And of course, where are we right now? Everybody's listening to music on streaming, and the label, it's getting better now for the labels. Warner Music last week just reported that for the first time ever, they made more music and more money in streaming uh, that half that maybe for the last six months than they did off of physical music sales for the first time ever. Don't worry, but wow. you're talking to two stand-up comics where money is not even. Yeah, that's that's it's, not even a discussion. It's like, crazy. It's well, crazy. They don't. They don't. It's it's. Oh like, yeah, I mean, do you get paid? Far, yeah. Well, if you think about it, if you if you parallel um, bands and stand-up comedians, yeah. Um, if you just remove the labels, yeah, you have to go to a venue to perform. And then you either sell merchandise or you sell CDs or whatever, and that's how you make your business. Um, imagine if a band was always told, "Oh, you can come tonight, but you don't get any money." Um, yeah, and, you want you want to come and play a set? Yeah, there's no cash. Yeah, there's no, no cash. But if you want to come down, and yeah. you and that and that and there was and and even if you did, it was just it was it was barely anything, maybe mm-hmm. a meal or whatever. And then if you wanted to put a CD out, it was like, well, why don't you just put a bunch of stuff up for free on YouTube to build your audience? Yeah. So basically, it's just like. Nah, no money. Uh, yeah. No money pretty much anywhere unless you... So basically your goal is to not is to basically not take money from anybody and hope eventually people like you enough... To give you money. To give you money. That's, that's a it. true statement. It's such, yeah. it's such a shitty platform, but that's kind of like what you're kind of talking about. Yeah. It's like, yeah. you're going to have to start giving it away yeah. if you want to make it. And streaming is great and all that, and I'm, I'm no... Um I'm no foe of streaming. It's, You're no Lars Ulrich? No, it's here and it's a reality and there's many great things about it. There's many things that are challenging about it. By the way, the way it used to be was there was a lot of challenge as well because let's not forget that bands would go on tour and say, why isn't my record in the three stores I went to today in Cleveland? So there were problems with that. With streaming and with the whole digital thing, your shit's up and people can it's find It's always it. there. That's that, the that, is a, that is something that the entire time I ran Electra, no one said it to me. My music isn't in the store. No one's ever asked that question. No, it stopped happening. So because we're running out of time, I want let's 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 microcosm this electra. You get to Electra, mm-hmm. even though you're reluctant, you decide to, to do this Electra in thing. In going to Electra, you shut down uh Danger Bird? No, I sold no. out of my half of the company. Okay. My my old partner still runs it. Okay. I think they sign a couple things a year. They do their thing. They're still based in um the same building that we that we were based in, although they're in a different part of it now. And uh, beyond that I don't really know what they do. 
And so I had to get out of my ownership interest in that company to take on sure. this role in this other company. It was like a like a condition of the deal. Well, yeah, it'd be a conflict of interest if you were like, oh, you're not yeah. good for Electra. Why don't you head on over exactly. to Danger Bird yeah, exactly. and I build that company up? Yeah. So here we are. Everyone's point of reference of running a record label is vinyl on HBO. Mm-hmm. So all <laughs> oh I guess God. what I'm saying is that oh it's God. just... It's, I haven't it's, watched yet. So basically you only button the two bottom buttons, right? Yes. First to start as so you get there. Yes. Oh, so you got the deep V going. Yeah, yes. deep V. Deep, very lot, deep. There's just Gold it's chain, smoke. Cocaine. Smoking a cig, chewing gum, got coke in the nose. <laughs> Stop cocaine. I'm assuming your office is massive and has a massive bar in it. A, and, your desk um, is a mirror. And all you do is fly uh, first class yeah. and, Virgin pri- and private jets everywhere, correct? Yeah, exactly. So, so is there anything else you want to do to fill in the gaps? Yachts. That you I have just a yacht, covered? probably? You have a yacht. You have a yacht, <laughs> you have a yacht to have your yacht I basically, parties? I hate to tell you this, but we were not allowed to fly first class. Uh, unless it was over six hours. Well, which thanks for coming by. Uh, <laughs> which didn't include LA to New York, even though it takes longer than six hours to fly to New York. Um, so if you went from LA to London, you could fly in business class as a president. But no, it's like all that shit is over. Yeah, those days are gone. Did you know that going in? Or was this the stuff that you were like, wow, what my concept of what a big uh, record label I think I was owned aware by of that. the Warner Group would be. Because that's in your contract. Okay, like your so you class, know in advance what you're getting. Class of travel and all that. Yeah. In, I didn't really care about that. The thing is, it just wasn't fun for me. It wasn't inspiring. I had a great. I learned a lot there. I had a great time in many respects. It just wasn't fun for me. How but long are you, you glad? You how could, long were, the, were you there? You're not there three, anymore. Three years. Are okay. you? Not, can, not are you at least happy when you look back and you cross it off your bucket list of, of accomplishments? Yeah, of and like, I think probably in a year I'll be even happier. I just, you know, it's. I, I wish I could have done a better job. I could have. I wish I could have been more effective. The challenge is that you're part of a giant company. There's only so many resources of people to work records on bands that you're signing and um, it's challenging and there's no, the, the answer about money, even when you're the president of a little tiny label at Warner Music is no. You get less and less money every quarter to run your business and you're signing bands because I always go about it from my heart like, you know, as a manager really and I make commitments to people and then they sign and then like you turn around and realize like, I can't put your song out in the radio department for another six months because they're backed up. And we have very little money to do anything with you in between now and then. It sucks. Because then they're signed to you and they can't go anywhere yeah, else. and they're and staring they... at you for six months. Yeah. And you know, they come up with all kinds of reasons. It's like kids. You know, they have an expectation that you're going to take them to Chuck E. Cheese. Right. <laughs> Why? Because you told them you would. Yeah. Because that was um, the deal I signed. You said exactly. birthday party, chunky exactly. cheese. What was, the, what was the business model at Electra? Just so people understand, like for those who aren't that familiar, it is it is owned by the Warner Music Group. Yeah. Right? So it's, it it falls under multiple. It's 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 a, it's a sister or brother to a lot of other labels that we're all familiar. It's part with. of Atlantic Records. Atlantic Records. And these days, it's part of Atlantic Records. Okay. So what was their business model? What did you actually take over? Because each one is not the same. You're, are you all competing against each other? The way it work, The way Electra works now is it's part of Atlantic. Um, all of your marketing and promotion and legal and sales is all done through Atlantic. So there's Atlantic Records Group is like six or seven labels, and Electra is one of them. Wow. So everybody's fighting for a finite number of slots in the radio and marketing departments. It's the same thing when you see Fox Searchlight or, you know, um, I'm, not, I'm now forgetting every uh, production. Uh, pr- production company, but you see the name of the production company that comes up, yeah. and if they're at Warner or Sony or what have you, they have to get in line yeah. to get a marketing slot or a release slot, as it were. Right. And so the people who run those different divisions of those companies, just because they're the chairman or the president, it doesn't mean that they get to go and run over the main titles of the, of the big studio. Those right. people, so Atlantic has the big tentpole 
things, Ed Sheeran, CeeLo, you know, what have you, um, Jason Mraz, and they're going to prioritize those things because those things keep the lights on. Yeah, yeah, that's what makes all the money. Yeah and, yeah, and you understand all of that, but it's heartbreaking. So it was it just, challenging. It, it, it's, it, because it's not about music, it's about money. That's, when, that's why it's heartbreaking. That's why, that's why when stuff like that becomes a business, it becomes a little, you're like, uh, like comedy is great and I love it, but the fact that it's, it's like such a business sometimes, I'm like, eh, that's a little bit disappointing. But again, like you said, I mean, people, it's all supply and demand. You need money, I guess. Yeah, you have to. You, you're running a business and you have to have success. And then sometimes you have success, but it's not, it's not the entire, um, it's not enough for the big company. It's like, I don't want to name names because you know, someone's going to hear this, but you know, we, have, we had one artist that had two number one singles, huge band, you know, damn near household name. And it's like, they were like, yeah, that was, that's, it was like a B. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, this thing was a fucking home run. Are you kidding me? Yeah. But just on the scale that they're at, it's just not enough. Right. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of stuff you learn, and, and you either you either like it or you don't. And I think it doesn't sound to me like there's any sour grapes. I think you're just oh, you hell just no. know you just know who you are, and you that's know right. where you want to go. That's right. Now, I, was there a re, did they did they want you to come to Electra for a specific reason? Was there something about your business? Yeah, model I think they wanted. That, I think they they recognized that I was doing something that they needed, okay. which was I mean I can only guess, right? Yeah, right. Which is that I was signing cool alternative bands. And building businesses around them, okay. And they um, they had a space for that, and they they envisioned Electra as that kind of a label. And the guy who had been running it was leaving to go and run Interscope, okay. And so they had an open spot right at the time that I was spinning out of Dangerbird, okay. And it was just perfect timing. The reason I didn't want to take the job is because at the time that I was leaving Dangerbird, I just wanted to be a manager. I wanted a simpler life. Yeah, management is like. Um, <clears throat> Is like a business that you understand, right? You, come, you, you sit down and come up with a plan with your client. You go and execute the plan. There's all kinds of shit that has to get done. It's like, um, at least from my point of view, it's a lot more of a point A to point B job. There's, there's maybe 50,000 point A to point B things in a given day, but you're also on the side of the artist and the audience. When you're on the label side, more and more and more, and you're not able to just throw cash at people, there's the table between you and them gets bigger. Okay. And so even though I was a manager who started a label for the reasons that I already told you, I would more and more feel like the artists were like bummed out with us. They were like not getting what they wanted just by, just by the fact that like we didn't have a million dollars to throw at people because where the fuck are you making your money back? Right. <laughs> you know, it's like Jesus, you know, Best Buy, if you go to Best Buy, they're not going to be in the music business for much longer, as far as I can tell. The, the music department in Best Buy is probably the size of this table. Yeah. It's getting smaller. Yeah, and it's, it's only smaller. hits. And it's only hits. <laughs> yeah. So um, the... Um, you know what my kids have never said? 10 what? and 8? Right. Can you buy me that CD? Of course. Of course. Never once have they said, yeah. can you go out and buy me that? Yeah. It's, they're not even, it's not even a consumable thing because they can access it from yeah. so many different directions. It's, they, wouldn't, they never thought to go to a store and consume it. So the deal is, is that I, I really found... Um, the longer I sat in a record company job, um, whether it was one that I started or one I worked for, I, I started to feel like I just want to be um, on the side of the artist and I want to be right next to the audience. And I'd always been managing the whole time. So my management company stayed outside of Electra when I was there and I ran it as a separate entity. And I did um, had a lot of fun there. It felt like a great... Um, I felt like a sense of satisfaction and completion. Like, you know, you... you, you cross off everything on your list and you turn the page and you fill it up and then you, you know, yeah. proceed. 
And um, so that's what I did. I, I told them I didn't want to be there anymore. I had re-upped my contract to be there for another three years. I told them I didn't want to be there anymore. And now I'm sitting at this table talking with you guys. Yeah. And I manage a bunch of great artists, and I love it. Who do you manage? So you went back into management, so who do you manage So I've right managed now? Dropkick Murphys the whole time. Oh, that's right. fantastic. Yeah. Okay, so now we get into this. Okay. Yeah. And I signed, and then I managed a couple of producers, Tony Hoffer and Justin Meldell Johnson. I've managed them for years. I've managed Tony for 18 years. And then... Um, I signed KT Tunstall, who's great. I signed this kid, Pokey Lafarge, out of St. Louis, who's great. And then I signed a band called Dead Sarah from L.A., who are a band that I signed to Electra. And when I left, they asked me to manage them. Is that the woman that I met the other day? Is she in that band or something? There was somebody at the golf Correct. Correct. Yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah. What did she do in the band? She was the She's the guitar player. Guitar player. That's yeah. Right. Nice and girl. so, you know, we, I have a, three people who work for me. We sit in a very tiny office. That's actually way smaller than this room. Hey. You're Hollywood. doing the whole social office thing, right? Are you still yeah, at that we're, place we're, you Noia, showed me? Noya House, yeah. You know about this whole concept? It's the future, buddy. Get used to it. Even it's when cool. you, Even when you own your own company. It's, uh, no, there's no walls anywhere, really. Everyone sh- it's like shared space. Okay. <laughs> I knew you were. He's, he's just part of the future, it's man. We're cool. like, there's, yeah, no cool. there's multiple businesses Look, taking place in as, the same. As somebody who's not in charge of stuff, I, I think that's great that like you know the boss is willing to like. Well, we all sit together. No, no, I'm talking but, about multiple companies don't share walls. Oh wait, what now? Like, yeah, you're it's in a there social like, space. Yeah, they it's share with other companies. It's called a co-work space. So you're in close proximity with other people. Ooh, I wouldn't. I wasn't even that comfortable with it when it was just within the. <laughs> now you're adding other companies. Yeah. It's like, so you guys make pencils and we make records, but that's we're right. all like that's true. Yeah. hanging out. And yeah, like, that's pretty cool. That's how, so that's I got to listen to fucking Arlene have a yes, hour long call about the pencil shipment. That's correct. Yes, like, you do. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. What, that's yeah. the downside to go. go so, to so we do what we do, and um, I enjoy it. Yeah, it's like you know there are some things that are challenging every day. Um, this woman who works for me, I was talking to her on the way here, and she goes like, I've called this guy at this record company three times today, and like he doesn't answer, and his assistant doesn't answer. And I said, yeah, that's the fucking problem these days. Like, People don't answer the phone anymore. No, at, yeah. at the Neither office. do you. Yeah. You don't answer. So you, you were one of the leaders in not answering a cell phone. I used to tell a joke on but, stage about you. Oh, shit. You would call him, get his voicemail, oh, leave a would, message, and he you would get an immediate text back. Yeah. And I was like, there he is. <laughs> That's <laughs> the guy. And you try to call <laughs> him. Yeah, and he's there like, he is. He's a text backer. He's a text backer. Because I'm like in a meeting or something. Like, no, my I know. phone's wrong here. And it's like, I just. You yeah, know, I don't know if you've heard him describe his life, but he's been busy for the last couple of years. How often do you pick up the phone, though, in all honesty? It's it's tough, right? It's I'm, tough. I'm in your usually world. a callback person because I'm either yes. on the phone yeah. calling someone back, and the phone rings with a new call, or I'm in a meeting. And but so I use Apple has that thing. It comes up, and you can click in a meeting. And we'll call you right oh, back. Oh, you'll do. You or use you that just stuff. turn your yeah. phone off when Dropkick Murphys play L.A. because you know you're going to get hit up by everybody. By for everybody. Free tickets. It's like by everybody. Click. That's right. <laughs> so, um, but at least you know, I, I, which I'm okay with because I don't know if you do that. I am. I'm not a call waiting guy. Like I will not go. Hold on a second. Unless it's my wife calling in, and I exactly. want to make sure everything's okay. Yeah, that's right. I never click away and click back. Do you click away, click back? If, if it's my mom, if it's Nicole, or if it's but like it's my brother, so, or a select few. Yeah, like you're not like clicking away for every call that no. comes in. No, no, no. So in, in closing, and by the way, Jeff, there, there's all these other stories I know we didn't really get to. I'd love to have you back in the future. We can talk about all the other stuff that, you know, all the other great things that you're doing in, in, in your you, life. But If you're going to start managing comedians, yeah. um, getting us when it becomes profitable, I'm sure that's something that would be worth it. Your bands need doing. openers. Um, <laughs> you trust me, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Did Caliendo open up for one of your Frank Caliendo. He opened for Citizen King. He opened yeah. up oh, for wow. Citizen King. <laughs> that would have been so a there is a show. small, it's a, it is a small world in the I end. I think it right? was like his first gig outside of like the the, um, the cafe on campus. Yeah. 
So there was something like that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, because he went to University of Wisconsin Milwaukee, and I don't yeah. I don't remember how you ended up tracking him down to do it, but you know he was kind of still building a little name. Fred, for our buddy guess. Fred knew him. Fred Gillick knew him. Yeah. Okay, who had, makes great clothes, by the way. If you uh, if you want anything that represents Wisconsin or Milwaukee, he's, he's got there. all that. He's got a great clothing line. He's who makes Green Bay Packer T shirts. We yeah. all used <laughs> to be a part of the six two five. Again, we'll have to go back to this stuff some other day. So, um, in, in in closing, a couple things just for obviously most of our listeners are not in L A. They're just all over Middle America, and so uh, most exciting moment you had when you knew you were going to meet someone that you always wanted to meet? Um, well, I was laying in bed one night reading a book. And my wife was out of town, and I got a text from my friend um, saying, Morrissey wants to meet you. Can you meet us at the Sunset Marquee? And I stood up and got dressed, and I called my wife, uh, who was in New Orleans, and she goes, okay, here's the deal. <coughs> you can go on the meeting, but you can't manage him. If you manage him, I'll divorce you. And so I went to the meeting. And I got to the why, Sunset Market. Why was she so? Because Morris, he's a handful. Okay, that's just the bottom line. Yeah, but, but it, that and also, you know, if you licked, listen to this whole story arc that we just had, that was that was a defining moment also I mean, in yeah. your life. Yeah. So the way oh, you're yeah, going to the way you're going to perceive this human being is different. Like yeah. Eddie Van Halen dude. was like, "Hey, man, I know oh, yeah. David Lee Ross. Yeah. Someday we'll ass, talk about David Lee Ross. There's so many things we can't get to today about the things. <laughs> well, you can always edit, but I got to go to my office too. I'm sure you guys have shit to do. Yeah. But yeah, that was a good one. And then I got to the Sunset Marquee, and then I looked at my phone um, just as I was parking in a parking lot that I didn't have any money to park in, and I begged the guy to let me park anyway, and somehow he let me do it. Um, I think I paid him a dollar thirty in, in change. <laughs> it was like a five dollar lot, probably. Or yeah, and lot. Uh, and and I looked at my phone right before the thing went up, and it said, "We left the Sunset Marquee. We're at the Cat and Fiddle." I backed up. And got out of that parking lot. I let the guy keep the money because what was I going to do? And then I drove to the Cat and Fiddle and parked at a meter, and they were there. So that was a good one. You see him? Yeah. Had you seen him before? You met him before? No. Okay, so you walk in. Yeah. Does any of your, does your, do you have childhood flashbacks? Like, do, 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 are, are no, you kind not of like, really. I, 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 you know, or do I you guess, go into game mode? Do you I go, into do you go game into protective mode. Jeff yeah, mode yeah, of like, in, and plus I, my friends are in his band. Okay. Um, so you play so, it cool. You're just all like, yeah. So there was a, there was a conduit there, which okay. really helped. Uh, most amazing concert of all the thousands you've seen, the one that, that sticks out to you that, uh, even if it's, it, it, you know what I mean? Just like an event that you were at and you were like, you, you were very self-aware of how amazing well, I, I remember that well, was. seeing Blur at Coachella a couple of years ago. I started crying it was amazing and nice. why is that why because do you think I, that happened because i love them and i never i never thought i'd see them and i you know there's some bands that you like listen to more after they broke up mm-hmm. and i saw blur once on their big uh, their album that was real big in america the one Woo-hoo! yeah that one and it was cool but they were they were like pretty wasted and whatever and so i listened to them so much after all of that and i never thought i'd see them ever again as a band and it was just like a moment and the songs have such an emotional connection with me that I, I loved it. I also remember being at the Grammys in like 2002. Um, in like a, in, I was there during soundcheck, and I was in like a skybox, um, and I heard you 2 soundchecking um, their big song, uh, Beautiful Day. Wow. And that was amazing because that song, even without seeing them, but like feeling it in the arena, like it's so loud, you can feel it in your chest. Yeah. That was great. And that was a great song. I mean... People can make fun of you too. I, I think they've they sort do. of they've sort of like lost it at this point for because I think they're not trying hard enough or something. But that that was a great. Well, fucking they're trying song. too hard. 
Fair enough. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Like, because yeah. the, they used to make really good music, and yeah. for thirty years, it's fallen. Yeah, you yeah got, let's cut, we, off we can cut them a little bit of slack. Yeah, here, but right? that yeah. song was great. Right. That right. that song was a great song, and it transcended you know every genre and all that. So I think that was something that sticks out in my head. And then like you know seeing, um, I don't know. I just we were at Jazz Fest last weekend. I saw a doctor. We saw Doctor John standing Sweet. in the rain. That was amazing. Seeing him walk up to his piano with a cane and. You're kind of like, God, can this guy even make it my, to the fucking piano bench? Oh, my buddy played sax with him. On, wow. On, uh, yeah, my buddy moved down there, started playing saxophone, and just got in all these sessions and wow. s- rocked out with him on something that he was nominated for a Grammy like uh, like two years ago or something. That's cool. But yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty fantastic. Yeah. Other than that, any other? Uh, I can't remember. The, I mean, seeing Pearl Jam a lot, I've, I love that. What's the band that you met early on before they were anything? Is there any 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 musician that you met before they became bigger? And, yeah, and did you well, meet Eddie them Vedder. afterwards? So yeah. Eddie Vedder before yeah. when he was just a, just yeah. doing his thing. And that was amazing. Billy Corgan. You know. Now, the, do you bring that kind of stuff yes, up, or do yes, you do? I do? Okay. Yes, yeah. Do they have any recollections, or no, is it hard because there's no just way. Too, they meet too many people, too many things going on. I in ended their up lives, right? managing Stone Gossard's band, Brad, um, and told him about my uh, about driving him around Milwaukee. When Pearl Jam played Marquette University, he's like, "Dude, all I can say is thank you for doing that." I, <laughs> yeah, I, don't I have, have no recollection. Yeah, because Kesley played a thousand college campuses, oh, yeah. and everybody looked just like you, exactly. driving around in the same shitty exactly. van, exactly. taking them to the same shitty dorm room to That's sleep. It, exactly. Like, yeah. But you still have to share the story, even of though you course. know what well, they're well, going to say. I, I, I do it when I know, like for a fact, I'm like, oh, actually, I drove you around one time in Aspen, Colorado, fucking ten years ago. I still say that shit, and I know I shouldn't. They're like. Uh, I go. I don't expect you to remember yeah, me, yeah. and they're like, "Okay, because I don't." Well, like, I think that um, I think that I, I try to f- uh, frame it in like a, a, a message of gratitude, like yeah. basically saying like you really the fact that you were nice to me yeah. or you were nice to us, you know, the, the the kids from the concert committee made a big impression on me, or you know Eddie Vedder, who I interviewed before Ten ever even came out. <clears throat> like I've I thank the publicist from Epic Records who like sent me the cassette of 10 before it even came out. And um, I think I wrote a big thing on Facebook and tagged her in it. And she like wrote me an email back. I don't even, I mean, I don't even know her anymore except now we've reconnected through Facebook. But like I try to be grateful. And and the one good thing about getting this highfalutin job title or doing anything in, in the music business that anybody has like noticed, right, is that I like to do public speaking. And I like to go and speak to um, at universities or at other places where you're, where you're around people who are trying to do it, and I like to just talk about the things that I think are important, which is, you know, you're gonna laugh, you know, picking up the phone, returning phone calls, sending an email back, saying thank you, um, paying attention to other people, like all the shit that got all of us to where we are right now, because none of us got to L.A. because we were shit heels. Right, it's a hard city to make it in. Yeah. And so I like to focus on the basics. And when I meet someone who's famous, who I who I connected with in the past, I just say thank you. And some people, I mean, I said it to Morrissey about his lyrics. And you know, he everybody has their their standard way of responding to it. Sure. To be honest with you, but what you don't want to be is the driveling fucking goofball. Right. Because then they feel really uncomfortable. Sure. That's just the thing. It's just too awkward. But but even though like some of these people you're meeting changed your fucking life correct. And like, like, correct to explain that to somebody like and i know that they've heard it before and i understand that they probably feel that they have done that or they've succeeded in doing that from many people but you just want to you really do just want to share that with them yeah because you have connected with them on such a personal level and it means so much and yeah. they don't even fucking know you yeah so it's just like uh 
But I think it helps if you're like, you know, I, I hate to say this, but if they recognize you as someone who's done something or is doing yeah. something, oh, yes, and and you basically focus on like. Thank you for being nice to me in 1992. It made a really big impression on me, and um, but we all know how it, go- it it goes very wrong from there. If people just keep going yeah. on and yeah, on, yeah, that's and on. the thing. Then you have to like <sighs> it's rough. Like I was at a dinner party with Weird Al. We did it. We did a commercial there one time. We talked about that for two minutes. Then we moved on and we just kind of had normal conversations yeah. about shit because I couldn't sit there all day and go, "Oh my god!" So and me and exactly. my brother with this, dude, another one rides dude, a bus. Like worst. I can't like quote lyrics at him. Like you can't. It's just I get obnoxious. I, I like my photo's been in Billboard magazine twice ever, right? Or I've been on. Uh, you know, on whatever you sign an artist, and there's a signing photo in there. So, like, um, and and I, I guess enough people know the bands I've worked with to figure out like who's the guy that signed them, right? Yeah. So, I, I am like a point zero 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 one on a scale of ten, right? Uh, which is the way it ought to be if you're a manager or the label yeah. guy. But once in a while, somebody knows me in public that I don't fucking know, right? And they recognize me from some speech I gave at their at Syracuse. Or whatever, or they saw me on some Grammy panel, right? Just some bizarre shit like that, right? And so um, that's fucking awkward, yeah. Because you're sitting at Intelligentsia Coffee, having some crazy conversation with your friend Brian, swearing, throwing down all kinds of shit that you <laughs> yeah, don't want yeah. anybody to hear. And they're right. like, hey, and I they've know been you sitting from... there for like an hour. <laughs> the fucking worst, dude. I don't like talking in public at all, and I'm yeah. nobody. You know what I mean? I close my windows when I have my I have friends that like have TV shows and stuff, and they come over and they start talking about work. I'm like, I'm gonna close my windows because people in this apartment can oh, hear everything. Everybody you say. know everything. And everybody yeah, knows and they'll everything. know exactly who you are from what you're saying and what you're doing. And I was like, at Starbucks earlier. Um, I was on my bike and I stopped at Starbucks, and when the lady called my name. This this young woman who was standing there waiting for her shit for an hour as well, she came over and said, "Oh hi Jeff," and I was like, I had to do one of those things like, "Hey, how are you?" Yeah. I had no idea who she was. It turns out um, she worked on the same floor that Electra was on at Warner Music, and she worked in the royalty department for Warner Brothers Jesus. Records. Wow! And she said hi, and I was like, I, I said I had to be honest, like I don't remember ever meeting you, and she was like, "Oh yeah, you worked over there," and. Um, you know, I'm looking to get a new job. If you, anything ever comes up, I'd like to get into management. I read you're in management now. She works in royalties, you know? So that was weird, and that just happened. Yeah. Wow. So whatever. Yeah. And it's going to happen. I mean, and you still you, you appreciate the fact they're acknowledging you, and they see you at a certain level, you know, which I get. It's weird, because they put you at a certain level. It, 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 it's got to be a little bit disarming when they're putting you in a level of power yeah. that you also have to make a choice. Like, I can or cannot help you. I don't like having to be put in that position where if I say yes or no. Yeah. That part of it can be a little bit awkward, but as long as it ends pleasantly, it's fine. No one acknowledges me because they don't know who I am. Well, the takeaway... No, no I've been called Mike, Mark, Coach, and Chris Coach in the last uh, six months. Coach so Mike. I'm okay. I'll be recognized as the wrong person. Well, the thing, <laughs> the, the thing is, this happens to me once every 18 months, but right. the, thing, the thing I always remember is that people, plenty of people, whether they are business executives, managers, um, artists, whatever... Publicists gave me the time of day when I was a kid in Milwaukee. Just starting out. You try to pass that on. Yeah. Yeah. Because being nice to somebody today who's like just trying to get their group. You could be working for them tomorrow. Correct. I could be working for that motherfucker tomorrow. Or you could help, you know, just being nice to them could get them through their day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, one, I mean, one, you should just be nice to people. And if someone's true. And and, and if someone's (laughs) trying to do something. The fact that we have to say that a lot is hilarious. Do you ever yell at someone in traffic like, fuck you, mother? And you're like, oh shit, that's Brian Irwin. 
Does that ever happen to no, you? No, but I did once. I'm not a honker. And I think I told John this story before. This was way back in Milwaukee. And I remember somebody somebody took a left turn in front of me and they weren't supposed to. And I laid on my horn and she puts both of her arms up except one of them was missing. And she's like, I only have one. I couldn't. Oh, God. I couldn't. And oh, I was God. just like, oh, my God. And she was like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, I just honked. <laughs> so and a rough. person who only has one arm is already struggling enough to drive. I've never honked at anybody since yeah. that day. I've always felt yeah. horrible about that. The one-armed lady. On that note. Yes. Dude, thank you so much. Yeah, for dude, thank you, you very much. Yeah, that I was needed a great to, I was show. just saying yesterday, I need to laugh more, and look what happened. We didn't laugh that much, well, but <laughs> I, I, I laughed. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, Jeff, thank you for stopping by. Yeah, thank thank, you guys. thanks everyone for listening. Uh, hit up the new Facebook page if you can. Oh, yeah, good call. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. <laughs>